What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Rockcast brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. Jordan here, and I am uh, joined by our fearless leader, Robbie Denning, to discuss mule deer. <laughs> I'm fearless. You're right. <laughs> oh, man. How's uh, first, before we like dive into these mule deer questions, so I put up a, a questionnaire. I, or I guess just a thread on the forums and we're asking people about mule deer questions. So we got a ton of those to go through, but I wanted to get your opinion on like outlook of the West, how things are looking in your neck of the woods, as far as moisture goes and uh, just overall what you've been doing for scouting so far and how that's been going. Okay. Um, well, I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about the, winter of 16 17 for so long it's it's just becoming a, a deadbeat issue and i'm glad because i think we're healing up from it um and like it always is with those really bad winters um i, th I think we don't realize how bad they are till a, a couple of years later and so you know 19 and 20 you know we're two or three years after those that winter um, that's when I really started to notice how bad it was and just how few mature bucks were around. And, you know, that's because you lose your older age class bucks on those, those winters. And, um, but I think it's finally starting to turn a corner. I saw nice bucks over the winter in multiple different places. Um, and then just through the web of guys that I know, and, and it could expand that out to the, the other States too. It seems to be heal, healing up. I and mean, I don't think there's a pile of, you know, ancient bucks out there by any means, but I, I think our crop of, you know, four year old and up is, is starting to look a little better now. You know, those, when you get that, that winter like that, you lose your fawns and those would have been, so if the winter of 16, 17, you would have lost your fawns that were born in 16. And so those, what is it? 2022, those would be six years old now. And so, but, after that, the 17, the 18, 19 fawns, that's what's coming up now. And that would be what your, your five, four and three year olds. And, and consequently that seems to be what I, what I'm seeing out there in, in quantity. I don't want to say mass quantity, but certainly better than it was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, did you, have you been paying attention to like forage, how that's looking just cause we've got a lot, it's been a really wet spring and everything is super green around here. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's kind of a line between you and me. I'm in, I'm in Southern Idaho. You're in kind of West Central Idaho. There's kind of a line. If you look on the drought monitor um, below you, it gets a lot drier and above you, it gets a lot wetter. In fact, there's a big chunk of Idaho in the North. that's not even in drought conditions. And, um, and we just missed a lot of those storms on this part of the state. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you look, look across the parallel, I guess that would apply to a big chunk of Western Wyoming and, you know, I guess Southern half of Oregon, you know, kind of a line across there. We just didn't do as well, but we're okay. You know, I've been out, what's today, June 28th. I've been out a couple of days, um, actual scouting and it, there is some green up out there. There really is, but, but the soils are dry. It's going to dry out fast if we don't, if, if this monsoon doesn't kick some moisture up in, into our parts of the country. Um, but, but I think we dodged a bullet, you know, cause it's just funny how, how it works with mule deer. You, you kind of have to have a droughty winter to get good survival, which we had, mm -hmm. but then it can't be too dry in the summer or your fawns aren't putting on good weight. Um, you know, and then they go into the winter kind of skinny and, and, uh, and, and so 
we had enough storms. I think that the forage is in, in, in okay shape right now, but it, it's going to need some more, you know, some good, you know, good inch of rain in July would, would not be a bad thing around here where you guys can probably get by with a little less than us. It, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a good point. It seems like everything's dry here and, or everything's green here. Sorry, not dry. Um, and I was wondering with, so much of it being greened up versus like last year, how if the bucks would go back to where they just usually go, or if they would spread out more because there just seems to be more water available. You know, I've been a high country hunter most of my life and I've paid very little attention to, to water and antler growth and location because once you get above, you know, I don't know, let's just say 7,500 feet, 8,000 feet. It's, it's a shorter, um, growing season. So it's, 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 it, it doesn't have as much time to dry out. And so even on like the, one of the worst droughts ever, 92, 93, uh, or, uh, let's see. Yeah. 92, just the 92, not the 93 year, but, um, very dry, but the high country bucks were doing pretty good then they really were. And it's, you, you know, you go up above that level and everything's still pretty green. It's still growing. You know, where when you get below that level, I think that's kind of when everything changes. And so, you know, there's a lot of low country mule deer. And, and, and I think I just have to look at those kind of differently. Um, like I've already got some trail cameras out in some dry areas because I know those deer are going to have to hit water. Um, but, you know, you move into the high country, a lot of those springs and seeds, they never dry up. Even on the driest year, they never do. So I think in the lower country, it'll concentrate them on these dry years. But once you get above, you know, a certain elevation and I'm just throwing 7,500 feet out yeah. there, you know, but when, once you get in, 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 in into the higher country, it, I, I think it's just less effect on them and they're going to be m- where they more traditionally where you've seen them or some of these low country bucks. In fact, that's where I went and put this trail camera the other day. There were no deer there. I mean, I scouted really well that morning and there were no deer there, which is weird. They should be there right now. And maybe I just missed them. There's not a lot of deer density in that country, but you know what? I'm I'm on one of the only water sources within about a mile. There's some ag country down low where they can get to it, but you know, as far as the mountain itself, it's the only water source I've found for at least a mile. And 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 so that's that's what I'm banking on that as as we get into the hot weather here, those deer should concentrate on that water source. And uh, so it's really hard to to to, to give generalizations because everybody's unit's going to be a little bit different, you know what yeah. I mean? And, um, and so you kind of got to think that stuff through. And, and, um, when we uh, did that seminar last week at Western hunting summit, a guy was um, grilling me on trail cameras and I'm like, believe it or not, I'm not a huge trail camera user because I don't live in a super arid area, like a big chunk of Nevada and, mm-hmm. you know, Southern Utah, but I do use them in select areas. And that area I'm talking about is kind of one place that it just, it, it, it's just deserty. It just doesn't get a lot of rain, so it can be more effective. So, you, but you know, move 20 miles away, it, another unit I'm scouting, not even thinking about trail cameras. You know, the deer are not tied to water there. Yeah. So you wouldn't use them at all. Um, just don't think that they're very like effective in the places that there's a lot of water. I unless you put them like on a saddle or a trail or something like that. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat. We went to put out a couple of cameras this last weekend and I was just, I, what we scouted and how, how much water there was around. I'm like, gosh, even putting it on, 
um, on a spring or something. Like, I don't think we're going to get much deer on it. We're probably going to get more elk than anything. And there's probably going to be a lot of stuff that's not even going to use it. So maybe it's not even worth setting it up. So we didn't. Yeah. And I think when, you know, you've seen me use them in the high country on trails yeah. and saddles, that, that's certainly effective, but it's, you have to reach a point of almost saturation with, with the number of cameras you have out there to really make it worth it compared to just glassing an area and spending some morning and evenings there, you know, you're, you have a good chance of kind of seeing what's there, but you know, to hike in a long ways, you know, set up a couple trail cameras and some saddles. And then, you know, make sure you always have to go back and get your cameras and check them, obviously. So there's two trips on $5 a gallon Biden gas. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is, is that going to be as effective as just maybe spending the night there and getting a good evening, morning glassing session? I mean, if you, if you got the time and everything, do it all. But I'm just saying some areas, I'm better off just glassing. So you got to think it through. But I know some guys... Travis, our friend, and and, mm-hmm. and Scotty Hawes, man, when they'll saturate an area with trail cameras, you know, the, and 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 sometimes they'll pick up a buck, um, but it's not usually tied to water, you know. They they they've just got enough cameras out there that that they can cover the whole area. So you just you just have to think it through, and what are your abilities, and you know, how many cameras do you have, and how much time do you have to run them? Mm-hmm. Great info. Great info. So uh, before we dip into these questions, we got to mention your book that's out on Amazon currently. Thank you. And you were mm-hmm. the first person to to put it out there back in January and it, and it helped. So yeah, we released it, what's the date? The 28th of June. I think it came out on the 14th of June. And, um, you know, thanks to you and a lot of the guys that, that, that got it out there for me, it, it was number four on Amazon's uh, bestsellers for hunting within a couple of days, it since it, it since slipped, which is kind of common after you get that first big rush. I still think it's in the top 30. Um, uh, and so, so it's doing really well. And a couple of guys have already finished it. It's a 400 page book. I'm so surprised, mm. but, uh, you know, guys love mule deer content. And so I'm hearing from some guys and they love the story content for people that didn't hear your other podcast. That's the difference between this book and my first book. They're both called hunting big mule deer. First one was a how to, so it's, you know, how to take the best buck of your life. This one is just hunting big mule deer, the stories. And so it's just a compilation of, of stories. Um, I, I put eight of them from me in there, nine other contributing authors, Miss Jordan Bud being one of them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Tony Tree, Trandy Ulmer, um, Ryan Lampers, Jared Bloomgren. Oh, I'm going to miss somebody. I love Travis Hobbs, uh, Scotty Thompson. Uh, just just a good good cross section of hunters. O'Brien so Laterner, a monster muleys, uh, put a good one in there. And so, so that's what it's all about. It's doing really well. I don't even have a copy yet, Jordan. <laughs> really? It's funny how Amazon works. I, no, I don't because I have to buy. I, I, I buy mine at wholesale, obviously. So um, uh, we can put them in the Rockslide store. So to get a wholesale order takes like two weeks after the book launches. Where you know, if you had Amazon Prime on the day it launched, you could order a, you know a single copy or you know a small amount of copies. So so yeah, I haven't even got to see it other than what the what the the editor's proof was. So um, ho- hopefully it's 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 uh, not full of a bunch of typos that i missed uh i i haven't found any yet i haven't like hit the first part of the book where it is all the stories yet but uh this last weekend after i scouted and didn't see any deer and was like oh this isn't going well i went back to your book in the back of the um in the back of it to like some of your tips tactics type deal um and i read the avalanche shoots 
one. And that okay. was super interesting to me. And I had a question with it. Is there a certain aspect of like facing wise that you look at avalanche shoots or like it just avalanche shoot is an avalanche shoot? The latter. Um, avalanche, the, the whole idea of that article in there is just to let people know that, you know, avalanche shoots are as good as burns and they may even last longer than burns because burns eventually grow back in where an avalanche shoot is refreshed, you know, some places almost yearly. Um, so you're getting that, that, that um, disturbed soil, which grows the plants that mule deer like, you know, creates a lot of edge, stuff like that. And, um, and it takes about a 30 to a 50 degree slope to, to create an avalanche. And um, uh, so that's what you're looking for. And they can occur on a variety of different aspects, you know, southwest, northeast, and I, I, I just off the top of my, I didn't mention that in there about aspect because I've seen them on all different aspects. Mm -hmm. Like I can think of a West facing one right now in Wyoming. That's been pretty good. Um, I think the article, the picture I showed was a North facing one. Um, there's going to be less of them on South facing slopes because those are drier and they don't, they don't accumulate as much snow, but they still can happen there. So um, I, I don't focus on aspect as much as I do as just checking out avalanche shoots that are very close to areas because I'm always looking for pre-scouted bucks. So, you know, I'm always waiting for them to hole up in an avalanche shoot once, once the season gets rolling and they get out of the really open country. Okay. That's one thing. And it's, I have it as a question in here talking about like slope aspects and things. And that I've been, um, maybe relying too heavy on that, like hitting on the south slopes and all that stuff and thinking that if it's a north slope, that's not even worth looking at, which is stupid. But um, this last weekend, that's kind of what I was doing. And I, I mean, in certain situations, I think just from what I've seen, like the north slopes that are completely timbered up, like, yeah, maybe you're not going to find deer as much in there, but they're, they can still be on north slopes if there's feet there. Sure. They can be on every slope. Yep. Yeah. So they could just be everywhere. There's so many places that they could be. And that's, it's always funny getting into the high country scouting, especially if it's a new area. Like I've hit a couple of new areas this year, this year, and it's just been like a small amount of overwhelmingness. Once you get there, it's a bunch yeah. of uh, super excited to get in there and thinking you're going to find a mega giant. And then reality kind of slaps mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's been, it's always been that way, Jordan. Um, uh, and that's like, that's why I always quote Dan Brannigan in his first, in that first book about mule deer about that's the challenge of them is there's so much country that, that, that doesn't hold mule deer that for whatever reason should, our eyeballs tell us it should. And for whatever reason it doesn't, or the densities are so low, you know, you, you just got to spend a lot of time there and, and that's our challenge. That's what we do. You just got to filter through it and, 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 and put the pieces of the puzzle together and, and that's why scouting on one year on one tag often can be so discouraging because you're trying to get all that information um, in one year. And it's hard because a lot of times you got to string together years of information to a lot of times just to rule out country. So your story that's, that you submitted to, to the book, um, mm -hmm. you, you went through a similar process. I remember as I edited that story that, yeah. you know, you, you visited that country and you, you kept going back and, and you kind of figured out where the bucks were and then it snowed and it changed a little bit, but, but all your scouting paid off. Even those unfruitful scouting trips paid off. Right. 
because yeah. you figured out where to look and where not to look, where to spend your time and where not to spend your time. A lot of times that's all scouting is, is figuring out where not to go. Yeah, I was just going to say a lot of scouting trips are just simply unfruitful. <laughs> like it's, yep. j- you know, it. you hear guys that are like, yeah, you know, you go back into an area and you didn't see anything. And it's like, eh, that's just kind of the name of the game. Like just go fill up the tank again and go somewhere else or go try the next spot or hit a different like angle into that country if you think it's really good or something. But a lot of it is like it is unfruitful it's not like you're seeing all the time anyways it's not like you're seeing 30 bucks in a weekend right if it's like that if it's like that then it just gets over hunted and and i you know i won't name any states or any places right now because that's just becoming just a way to concentrate people but you know places that are that that have a high high buck to do ratio a lot of bucks in the high country that word gets out so fast and then you're going to have so many neighbors you know, it, it just makes it tough. So I think the way things are going is I, I'm kind of fine with looking in country that doesn't have a lot of books that is hard. And, you know, maybe 25 years ago, I ignored it, but it's about the only place now that you can do anything on purpose because any of those good places, you know, I'm thinking, you know, high country, Colorado, Wyoming, stuff like that mm-hmm. is, is it's just getting just harder because there's, there's, it's easier to see bucks. So it, it attracts a lot of people. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I guess we'll just dive right into the questions if you want. Let's do it. Um, uh, you know what, Jordan, and, and, and I, I, we, I've done a bunch of these podcasts with different questions, you know, guys get them from Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And I'm not just plugging our forum, but when, when you put this thread up and then I went back and read the questions and maybe it's just because I connect with the guys on rock slide the most, you know, mm-hmm. we know each other and, you know, we kind of think the same. I thought these were some of the best questions um out there and you know every once in a while we'll get one off of social media i'm like you don't even sit on here i guess there's no dumb questions <laughs> that's the worst question that, I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know how to answer it where i was connecting with these so anyways i'm uh, I, I, kudos to the rock slide members and everything for come i can tell these guys to spend some time in the older country all right time for a little break to thank our sponsors first we have onyx hunt maps a great tool to use in the field and at home for mapping out all of your hunts. If you use code ROCKCAST at checkout, you will get 20% off your Onyx membership. Go to onyxmaps.com forward slash hunt. And then on the mountain and here at home, I love coffee. So uh, Black Rifle Coffee has an option for everything. Um, instant coffee on the mountain. That's a little more darker roast if you like a little lighter roast you can use their steeping bags which are great for backpacking and uh, or just backcountry use if you go to uh, blackriflecoffee.com and use code rockslide at checkout you'll get 20% off your first order and then activejunkie.com is a great uh, website where you can get cash back on purchases uh, through over 1500 brands and retailers so Go to activejunkie.com forward slash rockslide. Get signed up for a free account. Uh, go to the brand or retailer you want to purchase from. Click through the Active Junkie website to that and make your purchase like normal. Active Junkie will give you up to 20% cash back via a PayPal uh, deposit or they will send you a check to your mailbox every 90 days. So go check them out. Activejunkie.com forward slash rockslide. They've got some of the brands and retailers that we love set up on there. And then firstlight.com, 
uh, First Light Clothing. Love them for hunting. Um, they have some new waterfowl apparel that's going to be coming out pretty quick. And I always like mentioning that First Light does have some waterproof duffel bags that are fantastic. Three different sizes. Um, the two bigger ones have backpack straps, which is nice for carrying through the airport with all your stuff. So if you're interested in any of that, go check out firstlight.com. And with that, we're going to dive back into the episode. First one, we've got uh, what is the most commonly repeatable habitat for finding the most bucks, not necessarily the biggest in the high country uh, early season. So I'd say early September um, it says mixture of feeding features to cover slope aspects, slope steepness, timber versus rocky cover and uh, relation to water, et cetera. We kind of covered some of those already. Yeah, a little bit, but what I would, what I would tell this person, um, the most commonly repeatable habitat for finding the most bucks is going to be the green open country that is probably 30 degree slopes. If, if, if it's uh, more gentle than that, it, it just doesn't seem to attract as many bucks. Uh, bucks use the steepness of, uh, of a slope to uh, evade predators and to be able to see. And so I, you know, there's an article in the book that, that, that talks about, it's called the walking stick. And it's not really about a walking stick. It's about slope steepness. And, and that's what I find. It's kind of in that 30, 40 degree range. If you need a walking stick to walk on it, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Now it can be too steep. They're not goats. You know, they're not on 50 to 70 degree slopes. They can walk across them, but they don't spend a lot of time there. Um, and so I, I'm kind of looking for, for, for that, that angle of slope and, and, and the more open country. And, and we have to tie this to the time of year. I'm talking about kind of right now till antler rub is I'm looking in the more open country um, because, you know, they're not, they're not going to be far from it. They're not spending as much time in, in, in cover. They definitely like every day that it's hot, they're in the shade, but you know, they're not deep thick down on the North facing slope, like what you were talking about earlier, you know, but they'll use the North facing slope to get out of the heat, but they're not going to be far from a feed area. And so I, sometimes I think we overthink this stuff. I really do just reading guys' questions and, you know, they're, they're, they're overthinking it. You just need to get out there, look in the open country. And if you're, you know, if you're spending a morning, a good morning there and an evening and you don't see them, it's okay to, to move on and look, look somewhere else because that's, that's where they're going to be this time of year. Once you get past antler rub, then everything changes. You know, they are using, they are using country. They'll go lower on the mountain. You know, they're not typically as high, you know, all those other things come in. Um, what else has we got on here? Uh, aspect. We talked about that. I, I don't, the east facing slopes tend to grow the best deer feed. I think um, um, they, they don't get as hot. They retain moisture better. Um, the west facing slopes on, on, on big mountains kind of get fried in the, in the summer. But, and, and the same with south facing slopes. But what I find is because bucks live on the top, you think about it, if they live on the top, for the most part, they're high. I think that's one of their advantages because they, they, they can easily swap slopes by just going over the ridge or going through a saddle. And I, I think that's part of predator evasion. That's what, that's what they like. They want, they, they, it's easy for them to get away when they're on the top. So, um, you know, right when the sun's coming up, east facing slopes, the first place that it hits. And when it's hot, I know the deer don't want to spend a lot of time in the sun. So that's the first place I look until it gets hot. And I learned this from flying. Um, uh, when, when I used to do a lot of aerial scouting before Google Earth, um, it, that 
I, you know, I could, we, we could fly by a mountain and just as the sun was setting that the bucks were on the east facing side. And then you would come back, you know, an hour later, maybe, maybe headed home, man, those bucks are gone. But, you know, you fly around the backside of the mountain on the west facing side in the shadows. There they are right on top. They've just moved over the top a little bit onto the west facing side and they'll bed down right there until our sun swings around. Um, and, 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 and later afternoon, it'll start to shine on that slope and then they can move back over. So, so don't get too many formulas in your head out there. I mean, I think that's yeah. what I mean when I say we overthink it, but, but on, it, it, you know, it, any of those slope aspects I, I'm going to be looking at and because glassing is best with the sun at your back, I'm trying to time it with where, where the sun is. And, 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 and then I can get glass on them and the, the better bucks, I know he's not worried about the biggest buck, but the better bucks are typically not going to be out in the sun as long as the younger bucks. And so, you know, I really got to make sure I'm there right as the first rays of the sun are hitting it. Okay. I'm going to add a question in with this, just talking about like moving on from country. Uh, how much time do you like to give a spot glassing? And I want to put this into like in July when we're scouting and you have a big picture in your mind. So you're on top of a big peak and can see like miles and miles. Um, how much time do you like to give uh, that spot glassing? Well, the more country you can see, the longer I can stay. So if it's just a single spot, I have to hike into an area. All I can see is one basin, a morning and an evening, and maybe another morning. If I haven't seen them by then, not saying they're not there, but you know, I'm, I'm itching to move on. You know, they're, they, I've given it a good effort. I've given it, you know, 80%. <laughs> and that that's enough. I need to move on. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's a new area and I don't know it very well. Now, if it's tried and true and I just know hey, they're, they're here, I just need to give it more time. Then maybe I'll, maybe I will give it a little bit more time. Yeah. But, you know, that kind of morning, evening, morning is, is a good rule of thumb for me. But if I'm in a place, like you said, maybe on a big ridge and I can see, you know, there's a basin over there at a mile there's a ridge over there at a mile and a half you know there's a big mountain behind me that i can only see in the evening um because you know it's 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 east of me so i can't see it in the morning kind of place like that you know that could be a couple of days where mm-hmm. where where you could spend some time um and uh so so it really depends on on how much country you can see but you can be too patient i put that in a lot of my articles you can be too patient and you can it, it, it doesn't matter how long you stare at a mountain. You're not going to grow a deer if he's not there. You know, you, you, you need to move on. Mm-hmm. That's great. Okay. Uh, on the next hey, question. Jordan, on, the, yeah. on that question too, he said relation to water. Okay. I don't pay a lot of attention to water in the higher country because it's kind of everywhere. Now, every mountain range can be different. Talk to a guy at the Western Hunting Summit that has one mountain range and he, he thinks he's found the only water within within six miles six square miles i think he said and um uh um and there's deer there then obviously i'm going to pay close attention to that water source but a lot of this high country you know utah northern excuse me northern utah northern nevada you know idaho uh, montana um uh western wyoming i mean even a lot of wyoming and those big mountain ranges all over wyoming they're not tied to water there's just there's water in every drainage so, so this is this is kind of how I try to think about it. Number one, I don't know where all the water is in big country like that. You, you, I find I, I I can think I know where all the water is, and I can go walking off of some ridge and step in a little seat that I didn't even know was there. 
So the deer have access to more water than what we think they do. So that's why I don't pay as much attention to it in the high country. I pay attention to the deer and the deer sign. That's what I'm looking for. But if I am in an area that's like, man, there's no water within a mile, then 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 that's about as far as I've seen a deer go to water. Maybe maybe two miles at most. I've seen them, you know, water. Um, you know, I'll I'll really focus around that water source. But you know, the higher I go, the less I think about it. Okay. And then Jordan, he also said timber versus rocky cover. It yeah. seems like the bucks are always in there. They, they, they can't eat rocks. I say it all the time, but they're always in a mixture of, of rocky country that has feed in it. So if it's rocky and green, that's, that's a good mixture. But if it's, if it's way more rock than green, I'm going to expect less bucks. If it's just goat country, almost no bucks. And, um, but if it's all just green grass and rolling, um, I don't see as many bucks in that either. Yeah, that uh, that green and rocky is like that broken feature that you've talked about a long uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. That bucks like big bucks too. Yep, yep, yep. If he's got my first book uh, in in the in the section about um, identifying buck country, I think it's the first picture in that section. It's it's a picture of some high country. It's central Idaho. I put that picture in there because I felt like I've seen big bucks in places like that in almost every Western state above say 7,000 feet. It's got all the right mixture of timber and, and rocks and everything. And, and, you know, it, go look at that picture. That's that. Yeah. And if you have a Kindle, look at it in, in color because it's, it, it's going to give you a better idea of it. To me, that's about the right amount. Cool. Okay. So if hunting on a limited time budget, so you have seven to 10 days with a little pre-scouting. Would you, would the time best be allocated if still hunting is the end goal? Um, yeah. Do you want to just take that away? And then we could tie in the last part that he talks about. Yeah. He's saying, is it still hunting as many potential areas, the best route or is glassing from a good vantage point and only moving once activity is served the preferred method. I would say that, you know, glassing still your number one technique and that's what you're going to have to spend your time doing. Um, if, if you've, you know, and seven to 10 days, that's, that's, that's a lot. I mean, you, you should be able to figure out an area in that much time of scouting, um, uh, or hunting, excuse me, he says hunting. Um, so I, that, that's probably what I'm going to do in a new area where still hunting comes in for me is you're going to spot a lot of bucks. You can't get, if you're glassing, right, you're mm-hmm. going to see bucks you can't get because they're too far away or, you know, just not enough time to make a stock. And, and to me, that's where still hunting is going to come in is, okay, this buck's out on, been out on this slope, but you know, once he goes in the trees, I don't know where he's at. So that, that's where I'll use, I'll use still hunting. Okay. Um, this is a, this is a good one. This actually might've came from me. Um, distinguish between mule deer country and elk country. Well, there's overlap in a lot of places, Mm -hmm. but if we're talking early season mule deer before they migrate, you know, before the bucks, well, shouldn't say migrate before they start chasing those, you know, late October, um, broken, semi-rocky, patches of timber i'm talking high country here and those kind of 30 degree slopes okay that's and, and when they say mule deer country i'm assuming they mean they mean bucks because you know does can yeah for sure they can they'll live in less rough country and things like that so it's going to be rougher um, but it's still got to have feed in it always remember that uh, you can go into the roughest country on google earth and there ain't enough feed there to support a deer um elk 
Oh, and, and, and mule deer herbs and forbs. Um, the, 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 they don't just live on grass right now. They're a high percentage of their diet is grass. Definitely. But as you get, you know, further into the summer and definitely into the fall, especially when the frost hit those, those, those forbs and herbs. And I don't know the names of them. I just know what they look like. And it's not that hard to figure them out. Just go look at the deer and watch yeah. what they're eating and walk over there and look at them. There you go. That's how you figure it out. And, um, there's probably a better way, but that's how I've done it. Um, they're going to be in areas with a lot more of that. If it's just grassy, that's going to be more of, of, of your elk country. The elk country is not typically as rough. Um, so a little, little more gentle, not as steep as slopes, although an elk can go on the, as steep as a slope as a mule deer. Mm-hmm. But, and, and, and in some places they do. They're living very, very close to each other. But elk can be so many more places than deer, deer usually are. Um, and, um, you know, elk are just doing really good right now. So they're, they're, they're spreading way out. The scouting trip that I just went on, you know, I probably saw triple the elk that I saw deer, which is common almost everywhere I go now. And, um, but they, you know, the elk, you know, the lower sagebrush, they were, you know, some of them were up on the ridges, you know, everything in between, but the mm-hmm. bucks were in the bucky, rocky, you know, steeper stuff, you know, and so, um, and then as you move into lower country, just say, you know, Mesa type country, you know, elk can be everywhere in that country, but I typically find that the bucks are around the edges of the mesas you know they'll live on top of a flat mesa but you know they'll get out on the edges because that's where the sunlight hits and you know grows more of their plants and everything unless it's just the top of the mesa has been burned or something they you know a lot of sunlight hits it but you know a lot of times the top of mesas are pretty thick and then you get off the edges of them and they're kind of broken and everything back to the whole thing about looking for bucks and that's typically where i find them the most um so on average, it's going to be rougher, I think, is, 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 is what I would say for meals in the country, especially in the high country. And then when you move into your sagebrush bucks, you know, I think that's what can be challenging because they can be right in where all the does are, you know, like yeah. when there's no rut. But I find they're still in a little bit rougher country than the does. You know, they're still bedding in a little more cut up country, a little more cliffy, even if it's just a few acres, they'll, they'll be they'll be attracted to that. They'll be attracted to the 130 degree slope in that area where everything else is flat, you know? And, and um, so that's what can be a little more challenging because sometimes you're like, man, there just seems to be does here. And it's just the art of, of, of the, the, the science and, and the art of it. Like the science would say, well, I need to move because the bucks are not with the does, but the art of it is that they, they could be mixed in with them if there's just enough cover there and, and, and rough country. And that's why scouting year after year is so important because you can learn all that stuff. So best, best answer I can give you there between distinguishing between mule deer country and elk country. Yeah. I mean, they can live near each other. So just because there's elk in a basin doesn't mean there's no deer there, but they're, I mean, they're not going to be like touching each other, I guess. So, Okay. At uh, what temperature or and weather conditions do mule deer start bedding on more open-facing slopes in the sun versus the timber? Would there ever be a reason you would look for deer on a more on more of an eastern slope versus a western, um, other than the sun being in your face? Uh, overthinking this. This sounds like something I've asked myself a lot. Well, and that's what I mean. These are good questions, but. I'm not thinking that way when I go into mule deer country. I'm thinking yeah. more of 
what we just answered in number three. I'm looking for the buck country because that type of country can be on any slope, even a north slope. So we just talked about avalanche. It's a north slope can be very open if an avalanche is, is, is knocking the timber off it, or sometimes the north slope's just so high it's not growing, growing any timber. Um, so, um, but, but it's still a good question. Um, I think the best way for me to answer to these, with these guys is, are, are you looking at the ground enough? Are, are you just going to a big knob and sitting there for days? Are you expanding out onto the ridges and, you know, walking the trails, the, the game trails, are you looking for tracks? And, and, and if, and if you are, that's going to speed things way up because, you know, deer don't have a helicopter. They have to leave tracks everywhere they go. And so a lot of places I'm glassing, it's not the first time I've ever been in the country. I've, I've spent time on that slope and I know, Hey, there's, there's buck tracks there. And so, you know, maybe it was two years ago, but I know there's going to be bucks right there. And the, the aspect will just kind of take care of itself. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes that's why if it's a new area, I'll, I'll fly it because I can at least get an idea of what, what the deer country looks like from all angles, even better than Google earth. Although Google earth has replaced a lot of that. Um, and, and, and so I'm looking more for that kind of semi-rocky green type country with multiple escape routes, typically the higher end of the slope. And then the aspect just kind of takes care of itself. And so out of, out of the four different aspects, Northwest, East, South, this time of year, you know, probably on average in the morning, I'm looking at the South and the East facing slopes in the morning. But as soon as, as soon as it warms up and he asks about temperature, I don't know. I don't write all that stuff down. When it's cold to me, when it's cool to me, it's cool to the deer. You know, so mm -hmm. if it's a cool morning, I expect to see more deer out and they'll stay on those slopes longer because the sun is not just blazing hot and just burning it off. But they still don't like to have sun on their backs, even when it's not hot. And, uh, you know, they're going to be in the cover before too long. But those cooler mornings, they'll stay out a little longer on those south and east slopes. And, but they're moving to the northwest slopes as that sun comes up in the southern sky. We're in the northern hemisphere. That's where most of the mule deer country is. So that the, the sun is slightly in the southern sky um, from now until, you know, the, 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 the fall equinox and, uh, and even beyond. Then it gets even more into the southern sky. So those are the two slopes I'm looking at. But if it's hot to me, I know that they're going to feed on those slopes in the, in the nighttime because that's what grows most of their feed that they like because it gets the sun. But um, they'll, I, I know they're going to be headed to the north and the west slopes in the mornings because those are going to have more shade on them, right? Because they're, yeah. they're, the sun's in the opposite part of the sky. And so, but then as the sun swings around, you know, the, the opposite may become true. And I've seen bucks on the east facing slopes early in the evening because they're shaded. Yeah. So, so again, Jordan, these are so hard to answer mm -hmm. because it's, it, it, it's going to be different everywhere you go. The best thing is what you just did this weekend. Go get spanked in, a, in an area for a while. But like the buck that you included in the book, eventually you're going to put all that together. And you shot a really nice buck in an mm -hmm. area that was pretty new to you, you know, because you put all that stuff together. Man, I wish I could, I could give a nice tight answer, you know, podcast answer for, for that. But it's just not how I think. It's just not what I'm thinking about when I'm in the mountains. I'm looking for bucks. 
that's what I'm doing. And if I'm not seeing them, I just keep moving around until I find them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that it was a good answer. It's like you said, it's so dependent on where the bucks like to be. And that's not very textbook. A lot of times it's like, it's different in every area. It seems like I have not scouted the, it's now called the buck Ridge because that's what Mm -hmm. it is in the book as I have not scouted that yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And, but I'm excited for it. You should go there. Oh, I will. And compare compare what what you saw last year to what's going on this year conditions are different this year a little more water and 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 you'll start to put together the puzzle pieces of that area and i'm almost guarantee it's going to be slightly different but i think you're still going to find bucks in those core areas at, at the same time and that's you know that's really what we want we don't want it to be easy or everybody's going to do it in yeah. the places i said it earlier if there's a lot of bucks everybody just ends, ends up there looking at the same bucks Okay. And, but if it's a little bit tougher like that, it's, it's going to scare a lot of people away. And, um, and yet, you know, you could, you could really put together something that, that, that will, will work for you. You know, you know, if I spend time in here, it's worth it. Hey, on that question that the, at the last, he said, would there ever be a reason you would look for deer on more of an Eastern slope versus Western other than the sun being in your face? I know we answered that. Mm-hmm. But the, the sun being in your face, I want to I want to want to clarify something on that. I always talk about having the sun behind me when I'm when I'm glassing because you know I'm typically looking at long distance, and if the sun is behind me, I can just see better. However, if you turn around and face into the sun, now you're looking at, at everything that's shadowed. Yeah. Okay. If you just think about that for a second, and I don't ignore that because if if it's hot. Um, or even if it's not hot, these bucks don't like to be out in the sun. Um, they're going to be more in that shadow stuff. The problem is, it's kind of looking towards the sun. It's a lot harder to glass. But I, I, I never say never. I don't want to say never do that. I definitely yeah. do that. And sometimes that's when you find them. But that, that also gets into the whole formula thing. Like, are they always going to be in the shadows behind me? Well, it depends on what the deer country is. That deer country over there. If it's not deer country, no, I'm not even worried about it. Um, there was a good discussion at the Western Hunting Summit. Um, I kind of eavesdrop on Brian Barney. He was up there and, and he was talking to Lampers and everybody and, and and a few of the guys that came about glassing and you know a few of the guys were like, oh, grid, 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 and you know, Barney's like, I don't really grid. And as soon as he yeah. said it, I thought, oh, dude, this is perfect. I don't really grid either. Mm-mm. I grid the good spots, but to just look at a mountain and grid the whole thing, well, the whole mountain's not created equal. It's not all deer country. So mm-hmm. you don't need to grid the whole thing. And so there, there, there's, the, there's the art versus the science. The science is if you grid it, you're going to see everything that's there. Well, maybe the deer happens to walk out in that little grid spot while you're looking at it. You know, um, um, but if you just grid the good bucky areas and that's where you spend the most time, then then that's where your odds go up because it doesn't do any any good to grid a mountain that doesn't have deer on it or the part of the mountain that doesn't have deer on it some of these western facing slopes and and south facing slopes are so flipping dry and you just walk across them there's no buck tracks there's hardly any feed i'm not going to grid an area like that number one i don't need to there's they're so easy to see when they're out on if they're there i'm going to see them probably with just a simple scan of my binos you know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I think, uh, where I would even do, I don't even know if I would consider it gridding, but 
It's like after you do your initial scan and you go to the places that you think they might be bedded, like whipping out the spotting scope and being a little more methodical mm-hmm. in some of those areas. But yeah, I still don't know if that's yeah. really gritting. Yeah, it's not gritting in the sense of I just treated the whole mountain equally. Um, it's gritting yeah. in the sense of now I'm picking apart, you know, these, these small bucky areas. Mm-hmm. That's what Kurt Garner used to say. He was the first person I ever heard say bucky. And Bucky is takes in all of this stuff we're trying to define that's so hard to put into words, you know. But if you do it enough, you're going to be able to look at places like that, and you're going to go, "That's Bucky." I don't care if I see a buck there right now, this minute that I'm looking at. That's what we get in our minds that there that every place that's Bucky, there's going to be a buck when I look at it. No, that's not how it works. They they hide. They're only out there for a little bit. You know, they move around and they have multiple Bucky spots that they go to. So your chance of seeing one you know, is not as high as you think it is, but that doesn't mean it's a bad spot. But after a while, you're going to kind of know, yeah, spend, spend some time looking at that. Watch that a little bit more. There's a better chance they're going to show up right there. And it, uh, it just takes one also it to find like one, one book. Just like yeah. your buck in the story. Yep, exactly. Okay. We have a, a horseman question. Um, so basically he's asking, uh, give us like a rundown of horse hunting in the mountain, um, the challenges that come with it, uh, time needed and work needed in the off season. Like, would you, if you weren't already a horse person, Robbie, would you recommend it to somebody? I will always recommend horses. Yeah. Um, the person just has to decide if, if it's worth it for their style of hunting and where they're going to hunt. And um, if they want to, if they want to take on all the off season work that goes with it, a lot of guys are saying no to that. Now, um, horses are, I don't think they're that expensive, you know, compared to like a freaking four wheeler or a side by side, a horse is dirt cheap, but the care that goes into them year round is a time suck. You know, I'm fixing fence, I'm rotating pastures, you know, I've got all these pastures. I, you know, I either lease them or, you know, water them for the neighbor and then I can use it. But that's just the life that you end up living. And that's what turns a lot of guys off because it's like, wow, I use this thing a week or two a year and I take care of it 52 weeks a year. So if you're not set up to do that and you don't want to do it, then, I, you know, I, I guess I would advise against it. But a horse is a very valuable tool to to a mule deer hunter like myself, who basically I'm scouting or hunting in some form from right now until December when I almost just hate hunting by then. I've done so much of it. You know, I'll, I'll have hundreds of miles on a horse by then um, on most years. Um, I think when I say hundreds, I literally, I've tracked it. It's the most I've ever done in a year is 300 miles. And I think last year I had like 180 miles or something like that. You know, that's a lot of horseback. But I'm focusing on areas where I kind of need, need that to be efficient. And I'm 53, you know, I, I can't just go tear up the mountain like I did when I was Mm -hmm. 26. But even when I was 26, I was using horses and they're just they're just a tool they're an effective tool but they're not for everybody and let me me talk about guys that they're not they're probably not for is if you're hunting if you've got two or three areas 
that, that, that you like and, and, and you're successful on foot. They're not way back in, you know, they're your bucky spots, you, you know, you, you are able to successfully hunt them on foot then no, don't get a horse. That's, you're just going to feel bad. You're going to like, you know, I rode Mr. Nibbles back in here and now I'm not even using him. He's just tied to that tree over there, you know, pawing a big hole in the ground. And, um, you know, I only need him if I'm, I'm going to pack one out. Well, I've been packing out deer on my back for years, a guy could say, so I don't really need it. And so if you're that guy, yeah, horses, you're not going to like it because yeah. having a horse in camp that i mean there's a, some of the backcountry stuff i hunt especially in october when there's just not a lot of feed available for the horses because you can't pack hundreds of pounds of feed back in there for your hunt you know um uh, you know that's what outfitters do and you know um it, it takes months to, to to prepare a big camp like that um so if the grass is not very good then i, I gotta find time to feed the horses the horse has to feed about if, if, if it's early in the season, there's a lot of grass, two hours a day will do it. They can eat so much in that short amount of time. But, you know, you get into the later fall, it's three or four or five hours a day. And, you know, so a lot of times I'm, I'm not hunting part of the day to make sure I'm getting my horses fed. And um, so that's just made me focus more on being in the areas I need to be in, when I need to be there. And then when the hunting tapers off, bam, I'm back feeding horses. That's kind of all I do. Yeah. midday and some days i don't even hunt the evenings you know because you know i need to take care of the horses and, and that turns a lot of guys off but for me it's an advantage because it's still putting me in country longer than i could do on foot i mean there's still places a few places i'm not seeing any backpack hunters it's too far in for them um if it was great hunting they would figure out how to do it but you know so i'm, I'm back to this kind of low density not very good hunting stuff um sometimes a horse is my advantage in that, in that, in a place like that. So I'm just kind of rambling on here, Jordan. They're an important tool for me, for the way a guy hunts. I, I traditionally yeah. grew up with horses. It's okay for me to, to spend the rest of the year taking care of them. You know, it, it, um, but if it, it, they're not a, just a little phase you're going to go through. All right. That's what I see guys make a mistake. They, I'm going to get horses. I'm just talking to another guy on Instagram right now. You know, he's getting into them. And I can just tell, dude, this is going to last about a year or two. He just doesn't, he doesn't have a mentor. He doesn't have property to, to put him on. By the way, you don't have to own, I, I didn't own property for most of my, my, my horse years. I just rented, I just found places, you know, I did irrigation for people so I could use their pasture. And, you know, and I, some, some guys I had to pay, you know, I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to always own property. Now that I do, it's, it's just easier, you know, cause I can walk out the door. I'm looking at two of them right now, right across the wood pile here. You know, I can walk over and check their water, but there were years, you know, every night after work, I had to drive, you know, three miles, six miles, you know, to go, to go feed the horses that wears on guys. And I, and I find they, they, they get out of the horses pretty quickly. So if you don't think you're going to use them a lot, then no, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, uh, but you know, if you want to live that lifestyle, you know, and, 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 and spend all your time doing it, then, then yeah, they're totally worth it. I wouldn't keep them if, 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 if it wasn't worth it. But in 2017, just the way things worked out for me, I found, um, two really big bucks that year and they were just not really in horsey areas. And 
I ended up hardly using my horses that year. You know, they were just the kind of areas I could get into on foot. Mm -hmm. I took the horses a couple of times, but just not a lot of miles. And on years like that, even I'm thinking, wow, you know, I hardly used them. You know, they're, they're obese, you know, look at you fat bastards. My goodness, (laughs) you need some exercise, but you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't pleasure ride, you know, my, I'm either on my horse for, for a hunting trip or I'm not, you know, I'll do a little bit in the spring, you know, getting them ready and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, so even with me, even, even with me, sometimes there's years that I don't, I don't use them. Um, uh, and so I just have to, I just have to buck it up and, and think, well, there's going to be a time I'm glad I have them. The other part of this question I thought was really good. And, and what I want to read is he said, there are good horsemen that hunt and good buck hunters on foot, but not often great horsemen that are also great buck hunters. I know what he means. <laughs> and, and this, 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 I, I had to kind of get over this too. Sometimes when you get a horse, you think, oh man, I'm a cowboy. I'm going to be riding the ridges, <laughs> you know, living yeah. the Wrangler lifestyle, sleeping in a wall tent. You kind of get in so much into that stuff that you end up just taking care of horses and living the cowboy lifestyle, and you're not really buck hunting. You're just riding your horses through the buck country, which is a disaster. <laughs> yes. Okay. And I, I wrote about that in my first book. You know, just to ride a, a horse through buck country, just take the marching band with you. It's about the same amount of noise. So you have to be very focused on how you use your horse there's a a lot of hunts i do the horses go to camp and then they just stay in camp the rest yep. of the time but they were they're just there to get me in get my game out and i'm i'm mostly hiking from camp um and where I, a lot of guys they don't do that they're like no nope, i'm gonna ride up on the ridge right there well that ridge is the only butt country in two square miles here and you're gonna take a a, a saddle horse up there and, and his buddies tied down at camp. And as soon as they're a hundred yards apart, you know what they're going to do, Jordan, they're going to start winning and stomping oh, yeah. and blowing. It's like, it's like riding a dragon, you know? <laughs> and so that's what I have kind of figured out with horses is man, don't, don't go to all that work and then not get off your horse because you're just screwing up your odds. And so, and, and I have done that. I have ridden my horse in places I shouldn't have. And, you know, it, it, it sounds like this big Western romantic idea. Oh, I spotted the buck from the back of my horse and I climbed off and I shot him. No, that <laughs> doesn't happen with big bucks. It, it has never happened to me yet. I have never killed a big buck from a horse. Never. Because they don't give you any time. If you're seeing a big buck with your eyeballs and you're sitting on a horse, um, you know, and he's within shooting distance, he's probably going to get away, you know, and, and I've, tried, I've tried it. That's just too much noise. It just puts them on alert. So, so you got to be really careful how you use them. Jordan, remember when we did that film three years ago and I put that little trail camera out on that, um, on that slope where I tracked oh, yeah. that buck that day. Yep. And remember how rough that was right there? And I'm like, yeah. this is so bucky right here. We know he's been here. We've seen his tracks. And we were seeing those other bucks down off of those cliffs. Remember you and yeah. Ryan and I were glassing down in there. It was like, mm-hmm. this is a bucky spot. I went and checked that trail camera and here's some Yahoo riding down that yeah. little tiny game trail, riding his horse through there. I'm like, dude, you just destroyed this basin for yourself, yeah. for everybody else, because 
you rode a horse through there. All you had to do was tie on the backside of the ridge, which was what, like 400 yards away. You sneak a horse up there, tie him off, and you pussyfoot down that trail with your gun in your hands, and you're ready. You're now you're deadly. All you did was ruin that area for a week, especially for big bucks. You know, when, when I saw that, I'm like, you know, this is this is what the problem with horses are right here. You get out there and you just think you're a cowboy, and you, and you, and, and you know, I'm not gonna walk. I got this horse. Why would I walk? Well, because you're screwing everything up if you don't get off and walk. And so to answer his question, I think, I think you have to be really, really strategic with horses and not just think that the game is going to put up with that noise. You know, I hear all that mythical stuff that, Oh yeah, you know, they, they're used to that sound. It's a four footed animal. And well, it hasn't worked for me. I still have not killed a big buck from a horse. So no, it puts them on alert. Probably the only advantage to being on a horse in, in mule deer country is they hear way better than we do. And I pay attention to their ears. If they hear something, if they're looking up 95% of the time, if they're, if they're honing in on something, there is something there. It may not be a big buck. In fact, it's usually not because they just get up and run and leave, but you know, there's usually something there. That, other than that, no, I want to be on my feet. You know, as yeah. long as, as long as God gives me the, the health to walk, I want to be on my feet. The horse is just a tool to get me in and out of there, hunt efficiently and, um, and get my game out. So they're a tool that you use they're for transportation and uh, it doesn't mean, and that's what something that I actually wanted to hit on too, is like one, when I was hunting with you, like they were a tool to get us like to the mountain and, you know, we didn't have to leave quite as early from camp, which helped just the day after day type of stuff because the horses were going to take mm-hmm. us a little bit there. And so, uh, but we weren't on the things all day riding ridges, just covering a ton of country a day. Like that was, that was very like, I can't think of the right word, like targeted. Like that was very Mm -hmm. like, yes, very, very focused of what we were doing and how we were doing it. And, um, yeah, it was, I really liked uh, hunting with horses like that. And then what we would do is we'd hunt, like you were saying earlier, till about one o'clock, we'd go back down and let the horses feed and take care of them and everything. And then we were in bed by like eight 30 or eight o'clock. So mm-hmm. we could get up at four mm-hmm. the next day. Like I've been on some sheep hunts and stuff where you get back to camp late every day. And you're like the extra horses you left in camp, you got to go take them down to water and let them drink and then go out and let them eat. Mm-hmm. Gosh, by the time you get to bed, mm-hmm. it's like 10, 11 o'clock and you got to sleep a few hours and get up again. It's like, do that for a couple of days and you're not going to want to wake up. Yeah. And then you're late. Yeah. Then you're late. Cause even if I do get up, I don't get quite to where I need to be when I need to be there. And I think this gets into all that slope aspect and everything that we were talking about. And so then I'm, I'm 15 minutes late. Well, what's 15 minutes? It might be the only time that buck is in that open area. On that film we did, remember, on that buck I called Rock Slide, I saw him for, what, 60 seconds over 17 days on that one little slope. That was the only glimpse he ever gave me of him. And I, I wore that slope out. That That's where you and I hunted, Ryan hunted, and we spent a, maybe even too much time there. But I didn't know where else to look. And so if, if I had, if I had been late that one morning and that was when I was scouting, 
that buck was only out for, at least from where I could see him, he's only out for one minute. Now that doesn't mean he's off in some deep timber hole for, you know, 23 hours and 50 minutes, uh, 59 minutes of the day. No, he just got around in the broken country where I couldn't see him anymore. So you, you can't be late. And, and, and if you're just wearing yourself out, you know, just constantly, you're getting to bed at 11 and, and then each day you get up a little bit later to me, that's just decreasing my odds. I'm putting in the same amount of work logistically to get into the country but I'm missing the critical time when the buck may be on his feet. And I know they could be up at any time. I get all that. And if I find a place like that, you know, I'll, I'll make sure I'm in those areas, you know, throughout the day, but that's, that's where horses can become a liability because then you got to think about feeding them. Like what you said, you can't just come back and go to bed. No, you got to take no. care of him. You know, he'll, he'll, um, uh, he'll twist a gut if he's not, doesn't have enough water. I mean, you know, they'll, they won't even let you sleep. You know, they will, they will pound the ground so hard. If you haven't fed them, you know, you, you'll have to tie them on another mountain to get any sleep. So, so that's, I think that's what turns guys off. So if you're prepared for all of that and it, to take care of them and everything, that's, that's where they're a good tool. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that hunt, Jordan, because mm-hmm. remember we, that mountain was probably 1500 feet above us to the deer country. Yeah. And we would only ride the horses, maybe 700 vertical feet of that. And mm-hmm. then we would tie them off low. And then, then we would, we would hike, you know, cause a man can be a lot quieter than horse, yeah, but yeah. you hunted mid season with me. When I went back later, I kind of, I kind of thought, you know what, we're even taking the horses too high. Now that I've been in here, I'm seeing deer sign even lower on the mountain. And those bucks had kind of vacated that Alpine country. I knew they, you know, they, they can't go higher. They, they can't go up into the sky. They can only go lower. And I wasn't seeing as much out there. So that last part of that hunt I went in that just, I filmed, if you go watch the very end of that, I didn't even take the horses as high as we did. I kept them in the, you know, just maybe, I don't know, maybe a 300 feet of vertical feet. And then I would hike it because I was seeing deer lower. And so I was even more careful when I went back. And that last part of the film, you'll see, I still hunted up on some really nice bucks by doing that where earlier in the year I was riding horses through that area where those bucks were. And, you know, may, maybe I was spooking them then too. And, uh, so that's all the stuff you have to think about. And, and as a younger person, I didn't, I'm just like, I got a horse, you know, I'm, I'm riding the mountains. I'd just ride everywhere, you know? And, and back when I said, I put 300 miles on a horse, I probably should have only put a hundred because, you know, I was spending too much time riding through the country. Um, so anyways, I hope that's helpful to guys. A horse is like a BTX. My BTX is sitting in my drawer right now. I haven't even used it yet because there's only certain situations you can use it in. Um, uh, and so it's the same thing with, with, with the horses. There's only going to be certain situations I, c- I can use them in. And, and, and you just have to mentally wrap your mind around that, 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 that you're going to be taking care of something that you may not be using all the time. Yep. I think uh, you explained it perfectly. Um, how we you. do, how we doing on time for you? I'm good. Are you good? Okay. And if you heard, if you just heard a, a, a pop can open, it's not a beer. <laughs> it's one of these little LaCroix waters that my wife bought me. And I'm out here just dying of thirst on the patio. I can't go in the house because they're all in there fighting over the bathroom and yakking <laughs> and everything. So I'm out here on the patio drinking a LaCroix. So I didn't want anybody <laughs> to think I was breaking into the Budweiser's at 730 in the morning. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Here's, a, here's another slope question. So, but this is very specific. So when scouting for muleys in the dry mountain ranges of Northern Nevada, would you focus, uh, would your focus be on North facing slopes? I have hunted some of those dry ranges in Northern Nevada. 
and it still gets into this slope aspect that we're talking about. If people go look at that film I did, Muzzleloader Mule Deer Hunt, and you'll see some some uh, some slopes that are really really dry in that. The bucks were still out on them in the mornings before the sun hit them, and then they would jump over the top and either go out on the west facing slope or the north facing slope. But they didn't live over there. I was still catching them on those south facing slopes in the mornings. And um, a couple mornings I was on top where I could see onto the north facing side. And I caught a couple of bucks over there, but what I, what, what the reason I'm, I'm referencing that is they were still using all the different slopes, but as it got hot, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, sun really beating. No, there was hardly a deer on the south facing slopes. There were some, the buck at the very, very end that I passed up in that he stayed on that damn south facing slope for three weeks. I wasn't there the whole three weeks, but you know, the first time I went and then the second time I went, there's about three weeks. He was still out there, but he, he, it, it had some South East facing aspect. So think about that. That's going to get the sun rays right in the morning, but you know, by about 11 or 12, the sun's getting over towards the West. It starts to get some shade on that Southeast side. And he was just living under all those bushes that were there, you know, and, and he was, he was the oldest buck in the area. If he'd had better antlers, I'd have gone after him. I had a really full freezer that year. So I was super picky, but even that buck was, was kind of staying down in there because he had everything that he needed. And that's why these slope discussions are always so tough for me. Cause I'm like, I see them on all slopes as long as they're in the buck country, but that was a high hot Ridge. I won't say what state it was in, but it's very similar to what he's talking about. And the, 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 if I would have only for, focused on the north facing slopes, I, I would have seen less bucks. I guess that's that's how I would have answered it. And okay. if it's a super dry area, that area had creek bottoms. So, you know, a thousand feet down the mountain, there was water. There's no water on the mountain. I never even found a spring up there. Um, that that I wasn't worried about water there. But if he's in truly a dry area where they got to go more than a mile for water, I'm thinking trail cams in a place like that. I really am thinking that. Now, Nevada, they they have a trail camera rule now. Check it. I think they have to be out of the field by August 1st, I believe. Mm-hmm. And but that still gives you a full month of hot weather, and that's when trail cameras in dry dry areas are the best, anyways, just yeah. during the hot weather. So if it's really like that, I I wouldn't worry as much about the slopes as I would maybe getting getting a, a T cam on the water. Something else I want to touch on with the slopes, just because it's a question that's come up a lot. I was talking, and I I mean the first to I overthink it also. Um, but I was talking to Travis about it last year. He came to Nebraska and hunted deer with me and we had a a late night combo about all things mule deer. And one thing I noticed last year with some deer we were getting into and I brought it up to him is it's like, it's not so much the slope or not so much the aspect, I guess, as what is on that slope that creates the shade. So it's all Mm -hmm. about the shade and then being able to get cool when it's super hot outside so even if it's not the right like even if the whole thing doesn't face south or doesn't face east or something or i guess in this case face south as long as somewhere on that thing there's like a big rock or something that gives you a shade to the north like they can bed up in that just as easy as absolutely completely changing sides 
Absolutely. And that's why this aspect thing, I always struggle to answer these questions because a south-facing slope, the driest, hottest slope, it's got a patch of timber on it. Think about it. That patch of timber is casting shade to the north. Mm -hmm. So it essentially has a north-facing slope. And when I was at Western Hunting Summit, just like a week ago, and we hiked up on that mountain, death hike with Ryan Lampers. Don't go with him. He always <laughs> lies. He says it's five miles, it's 10. But when, when um, I, luckily I rode side by side off with my wife. <laughs> but when I hiked back out with the guys, they showed me across the canyon where they'd seen some bucks the day before on a big old dry south facing slope. And they showed me where they were. They said, why do you think they were over there? I said, see that patch of timber? That's why they're over there. And the one guy says, yeah, that's where they bedded. We watched them. They went in there. But when they first came out in the morning, the bucks, they look like beacons this time of year with the sun shining on them. I think those guys spotted them with their naked eye. But sure enough, they stayed on that south-facing slope and they just fed in. And we're talking a patch of timber, like maybe a half an acre at most. I mean, not very big. And it was kind of scattered timber. But even that hot, dry, south-facing slope, the, that timber cast enough shade that those deer could go into it. And, and, and these deer were weird. They, you know, it was, it was like halfway at the mountain. They weren't even up, up that high. They, at least that day, that time that they saw them, you know, maybe, maybe the bucks move up and down that slope. In fact, they probably do. And so there again, that's why, you know, for me to just get on a podcast, say, Oh yeah, look on the North facing slope. You'd have never even seen those deer. And it was hot. You, you know, they, they, they just went over there, but they were in velvet. You know, no hunting pressure. They, deer like open country, even big bucks like open country. That's what they prefer. It's just they're smart enough to get out of it once the hunting pressure mounts. Okay. All right. Okay. Next question. Two types of areas. Uh, more open country with less mature bucks, but provides better opportunity to spot and stock. Um, or thicker pine aspen country that consistently holds mature bucks but because of the thickness of the brush it's very difficult to spot and stock which area are you focusing your time you can answer this one for me jordan uh wherever the mature say? bucks are there you go and they're going to be in the thicker stuff that's why they're mature that's why they didn't get killed when they were two points because for whatever reason they're living in the in the thicker country um so that's where i'm going to go but but so this is what I tell this person, it gets down to your goals. If you just want to get a buck. Oh man, sometimes, sometimes, you know, I think so much about big mule deer. I talk about them. I write about them. I don't want guys to ever think that that's the only thing out there. In fact, big buck hunting is pretty damn boring. I've gone two years without punching the tag. That's, that's a punch in the gut. That's pretty tough. I could have shot dozens of nice bucks, mm -hmm. you know, 140 to 170 type bucks in that time. You know, go look at my films. Look at all the ones that I've passed up. So it gets down to your goals. And my goal is when the freezer's full, I want to get the biggest buck that I can. When the yeah. freezer gets a little down, yeah, I'm a little less picky. So you may see me out in, a, in an area on the last couple of days that's, you know, got less mature bucks in it because I'm, I'm, you know, just it, it, it's time. But no, for the most part, you know, 90% of my days, I'm going where it's hard because that's where the bigger bucks are. So it gets down to your goal. If you just want to have fun and get a buck and, you know, just hunt a few days, probably have some spot and stock opportunities. Oh, go hit that open country. That's classic mule deer hunting. That's a lot of fun. You're going to have more fun than me, I promise you. But if you, if, if you, you're just like, no, I, I want a bigger buck, then you're going to have to, you're going to have to change it up and you're going to have to put up with more, 
you know, fruitless days and fruitless years, fruitless seasons. It's just how it is. But when you, when you do tie a tag on one, he's going to be surprisingly a lot older than and bigger than, than all those bucks in the open country for the most part. One other thing to qualify this, if it's a great draw unit without a lot of tags, oh, that open country can be fine. You'll see more bucks and you're probably going to have a chance of getting a big buck out there. Yeah, I think that like if you really want a big deer, you kind of got to do everything. You've talked about this a bunch. Like you can't, you can't, uh, you know, like in this situation, you can't be like, well, I know there's a giant deer in here, but I don't want to go still hunt it. Like I want to spot and stalk. Well, you're just mm-hmm. limiting yourself. Like, mm-hmm. yep, you're limiting yourself, and it's kind of the same way with you've talked about you got to be an archery hunter and a muzzleloader hunter and a rifle hunter, or you have to be willing to do some of those things to up your, your chances. Or like, as far as, you know, where the deer are, like the horses are your tool. So if you go scouting and you find the big buck is back there a long ways, then you're going to use the horses. But if the buck is like not that far from a road and it's better to walk in, you're not going to use your horses. Like it's about having mm-hmm. a big right, toolbox exactly. and being able to adapt to where the buck is. Not so much just going into a country and saying, this is where I want the giant to be and thinking that he's going to be there on your terms. Oh, that's perfect, Jordan. You know, when I ran that scouting service for years, that was what I kind of learned with guys that were hiring us. Cause you know, they were usually needed more help. That's why they were hiring a scout. I kind of found that's what I had to get them over is you can't just go where you want them to be. And I'm even talking elk. You have to go where they are. Yeah. And that means giving up some fun. Really what it gets down. It's going to get harder. Remember sending a guy to where I'd seen a bunch of elk and he's like, are you kidding me? You know, you can't even see in there. You'd have to have a fry pan down there to get one. You know, we didn't even make it over there. And of course they didn't get an elk. I'm like, all I can tell you is where they are, not where you want them to be. And that's why they're there because they're smart and they know if if they're over there where you were hunting, which was kind of roaded, pretty open, you know, classic, beautiful Yellowstone park looking elk country off of a postcard. You know, the dude had watched too many videos and it's like, that's just not where they are. Not in this unit. They're not because it's a hunted OTC unit. So, so yeah, you got to do stuff that you don't want to do. I don't want to hunt with a muzzleloader. No. 75 yards, what do you do? I mean, an Idaho muzzleloader, come on. But that book I just released, one of the older bucks that was in it, I got him with a muzzleloader because it, it just gave me an opportunity to hunt somewhere you couldn't really hunt any other way and be effective, you know, because the rifle season is so early, you know, and at least you could hunt in the rut. So, yeah, you got you to gotta be adaptable. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta, you gotta do what it takes. Yeah. I, uh, and I think it all comes back to what you want. So I did a, I did a very ranty episode a few ones back. I think it was like managing, I don't want to say it was managing expectations, but it's called something like that. I'll have to look it up. Um, but basically I was talking about if you want that high country, like backpacking in, um, spot and stock, like big open basin, like country, it's like um 
as that goes to what you want it, like your expectation for a giant buck should probably go down a little unless you don't care if you fill your tag or not. Cause that situation just doesn't come up a lot. I don't think, you know, big open basins, like I, I don't know it. It's easy to go down this, this, um, it's easy to get ranty on this subject, but, uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really is about like what the person wants. And I think they got to ask themselves that question. Like if you want to hunt a really big buck, like, are you going to be pissed if you go into the high country and spend all your energy up there and don't see one or are you, would you rather go up there and shoot a lesser buck instead of still hunting through thick country that you're, you know, do you not like still hunting that much that you're going to be mad because you didn't get the hunt you want? Mm -hmm. It's like all about the experience Mm -hmm. and the hunt that you want. Yeah. And I want to get the best bucks I can. So, you know, that's, um, that's why I'm doing all that, that, that film that you did with me and Travis a couple of years ago, people want to go watch it. It's called uh, hunting big mule deer with Robbie and Travis. Sounds like, um, (laughs) Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, but we couldn't think of a better name for it. So anyways, if, if people go look at that, Jordan, do you remember, like we had all that open country that was low, we could have hunted yet. We kept focusing on that brush choked mountain that was across the, the drainage. You and I took the horse over there that one day. We didn't get the buck and we spent the whole day to get in there. We didn't get him. And, you know, but there were so many other easier places to hunt. You know, we, we I didn't, we, I didn't even, didn't even punch a tag on that hunt. Um, you didn't get to see the buck that I shot at and missed, but you know, he was a good five, four, five, six year old buck. Um, gosh, I was there, I was there nine days, seven hunting days. I, I could have shot a four point. I could have shot a lesser buck, you know, just not focusing on all that oak brush and going where it was easier, but I didn't. And I had two opportunities at four plus year old bucks in that week. Travis shot a nine year old buck because we went where it lined up with our goals and we were okay with not getting one. And I did not mm-hmm. get one. And so, you know, I think that film kind of represents that, 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 yeah, we could have figured out how to see more bucks and go to, go to, go to areas that were more open and easier to hunt. You know, there was definitely places like that in that unit, that big burn was over there above that little town. It's probably had a lot more bucks in it, but I just thought, man, there's a road right there. It's going to be fairly open. Yeah. I guess you, somebody's going to get lucky and get a big one over there, but it's probably not going to be me. And so I, I, I'm constantly making those decisions and, and sometimes you get burned, you know, that's why you got to be okay with not getting one because it's like, you got to be okay with knowing, you know, I, I put myself in a position as many days as possible where I had a chance at, at the best buck on the mountain because the best buck in the mountain is usually going to be in these tougher places. And a lot of times you come up short, but when it, when it pays off, when it comes together, you'll be like, nobody else could have killed this buck because they're all hunting where, where it's easier to fill a tag. And so that's why I just, that's why I would tell this person is, is just, just define your goals. My goals are not better than your goals. It's whatever you like to do. It's really what you like to do. And if you are good with getting nice bucks and decent bucks and filling a tag every year, man, there is no shame in that. That is, that, I, I, I'm all down with that. Go for it. I did that for years, but, but where I'm at with my life right now, I still got some help left. You know, I, I still want to keep pounding. I want to get the very best buck that I can. So I'm constantly making decisions like that. 
of, you know, I'm going to go where I think they are, not where I want them to be. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, on to the next. So it, this is kind of the last big question. Then we'll hit a lightning round. Um, camp locations, uh, eliminating horses from the equation. How close is too close to the deer that you know of? Um, and how would you plan for a camp spot if you've never been in the area? Okay. So, um, this is another one of those, those ones that it's highly dependent on the area. Some areas you can camp pretty close to them, like even like a half a mile. Cause if you have a quiet camp and you're on the backside of a ridge and you don't have horses, you can be very, and you have the prevailing winds, um, in your face that you're not, your sense not blowing into that area. Um, you can, you can do a half a mile jalapeno. Biggest buck I hunted in the in the decade of 2010 to 2019, and I camped really close to that buck by some people's standards, but I camped above him, probably a half a mile, and um, I was one ridge over from where I saw him the most, and there was there was places I could even glass him from camp a little bit, but usually you know, I had to hunt down to hunt him, not up. This is one of those mm-hmm. places where I camped above him. He was kind of a low country buck, so I. I camped up on a just nasty peak where I hardly ever saw any deer, really rocky, you know, chucker country. Um, there was a few deer around up there, but even when I look at the ground, there wasn't a lot of tracks. I did camp in, in, in some deer beds, but they were old and I had been there, you know, on other years too. So I knew that I just was never seeing the good bucks up there. And that was an early season buck archery. So I knew he was going to, going to hang with, with the oldest bucks in the area and they were going to be in bachelor groups. And I just never saw them up there. So I was comfortable camping with them. The only time I was kind of leery was in the evenings. It was, I was camped on an east facing slope. So when the sun was on the backside of the mountain in the evenings, I was in the shade and I did have some, some down thermals, but mm. I never saw him directly below me except for one time um, out of all those days I hunted him, which is, I mean, I can't even remember 30 over 40 over three years only saw him down there one time so i i was pretty cocky about where i hunted where where i camped him and it was the only camp spot there unless i moved back like two miles and then and then it was so hard to get over there in the dark so rough and rocky and rattlesnakes and you know all that stuff that it was going to be one of those days like what you were talking about on your sheep hunt you know opening morning i'd be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed right in the right spot but each day five minutes later, 10 minutes later, you know, and pretty soon I'm getting over there and I'm, I'm missing the most critical part of the day. And I'm not able to hunt critical parts of the day too. Cause I'm, I'm back at camp or, you know, my, my camp that was close there, you know, I could go back, rest up for a couple hours. And, um, and I had horses in there sometimes, even though it was only like a mile from the road, I used the horses in there to get the, get the camp in, have a decent camp, decent food. And, and then plus I just, did not want to physically pack that buck out of there um, if I would have got him. And so I, I camp pretty close to him, but in other places, there's another place I'm thinking of right now um, that I am 1500 feet down the mountain. I'm, it takes an, an hour to get up there, similar to where you and I hunted with, with, with Ryan Pimentel. Mm-hmm. And um, because getting any closer, it's just too open. They're going to hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm on the same level as the bucks if I get any closer because the only, only way on the other camps were up on some benches will flip 
you know, you can, you can clap your hand on that bench and hear it on the peak over there where the deer are. So again, no formulas, use your head. If they, if you can see them, they can see you. If, if you've got, he said to eliminate horses. So I guess we're just talking backpack. Um, and, and David Long was really good at that. That's what he would do. He could camp very close to these deer, you know, quiet camp. He was really careful on the, uh, the, the places that he would, that he would camp, you know, that he might be able to glass them from camp, but he would, you know, put his tent where they, there was no way they could see him. Yeah. I think Mike Eastman calls that coyoting out. Um, you know, you, you could be very close, but, um, one, one thing for sure, don't, don't sacrifice a chance at the buck for a convenient camp that's that's easier to get to you know i'm I'm always walking that line i get as close as i can but there's not a formula because every mule deer country is different that's mm-hmm. that's why some of these questions are so hard to answer but don't screw yourself be careful think about your wind think about your noise and you know you might be thinking you're gonna have a quiet camp but you know you and your buddy sitting there laughing at midday you know you heard how far voices travel in the mountains huh, oh Jordan? yeah oh yeah yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm not hunting the Wasatch front where those deer are used to, to, to people all the time. They just kind of learn to live with it. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in places where I don't want to tip my hand at all. I don't want those bucks to have any idea I'm even around. You know, I don't want them to hear a cough, you know, a horse, anything, if at all possible, but because there's no formulas, you know, I'm sometimes I'm probably closer than I need to be. And I don't even know it. And that's the thing too. Sometimes when they move, you know, they can end up very close to camp and, and you didn't even, didn't even mean for it to happen, but be careful is the best advice I can give him. Yeah. I think you can camp pretty close to them. At least like you can camp where you can glass them pretty easily, but like put your tent in a depression or something or freaking behind a bush mm-hmm. because I was in like Colorado a few years ago and I was like camped up to where I was really close to a glassing point And these dudes passed me and they put their tent on the glassing point. Mm-hmm. And I'm just yep. like, what yep. the hell are you doing? And yeah, um, even if they just want a little buck, they're hurting their odds. Oh yeah. Like good Lord. And all they had to do was like literally 20 yards back. It would be off that little point yep. and they couldn't, nothing could see him, but you're still like, you could walk to the glassing point in your uh, flip flops. Uh. Yeah. Right. And as long as you're not skyline and everything, yeah, the bucks are, are probably not going to see as long as you got the wind and everything. So, so, I mean, that's the best advice I can give. Just, just be smart. Just think about it. And the better you get at buck hunting, you're going to figure out the places that are, that are the buckiest. And those, those are what you really have to be careful of. And there's places where I don't camp anymore because I've kind of learned uh, that was too close. You know, I thought that was okay, but you know, when you get out of your tent and there's a big buck within range, it sounds awesome, but nope, he knows you're there and you're probably not going to get a shot, especially if you're archery hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you ready for a lightning round? I love lightning rounds. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First one, someone asked your favorite mule deer meal. Tenderloins and onions on the night I killed a buck. Ooh, nice. Uh, do you do that right on that? How, how are you cooking that at camp? Um, any way I can. And if I don't, uh, like one, one year I didn't even have any, um, I didn't have any butter. I didn't have any oil. I didn't have anything. 
and this is the first time I tried it. And, uh, I, I cut the, the tallow off the buck's back, you know, it was like an inch and a half of fat back there yeah. and fried it up on my um, little seek outside XL wood burning stove. Just used the lid of a, of a pot was all I had. It was about a half an inch deep, but you know, this stuff is tradition for me you know, tenderloins and onions yeah. on the night you kill the buck. It will, it makes it taste better. It just brings everything together. And, um, uh, I, I, fl- I fried it in that tallow. I still had an onion. I remember it was like black and frozen cause I'd been there like a week. I threw that in there. That was the best tasting, uh, tenderloins. I was amazed. I thought that tallow would make it gamey. It didn't, it gave it a really good flavor. Um, but you know, ideally, you know, I have a little bit of olive oil and you know, all that, all that good stuff. Awesome. Okay. Uh, how to get involved with the mule deer decline? Join the mule deer foundation and don't ever feel bad if you buy a hunting license that you didn't hunt uh, a tag for whatever reasons you couldn't get to because you're supporting our, our state fish and game agencies. I love it. Okay. What advice do you have for uh, kids first tags and lesson lessons learned hunting with your kids? Don't make your goal theirs. Um, with Cash, my son, he's the only one of my three kids that's shown an interest in hunting. Of course, you know, I want to do a, apply him for the best tags and get him in the best buck country and everything. And, and, and we have done that. But I do try to remember when I'm out there, this is his hunt. And um, I'm going to try to show him the best buck possible. But ultimately, it's his decision. And sure enough, he shot everything from nice four points down to two points. It's really up to him. About the only time I put a restraint on him is if we're hunting together and I have a tag and, you know, I'm sorry, big bucks, Trump little bucks, because I can find more little bucks if I, and I may, may tell him, let's not shoot this buck here because there's been a big one right here. Let's not stir the area up. I don't want a gut pile right here. I don't want a bunch of banging. We'll keep hunting. I've had to do that like once or twice with him. Um, but you know, it's his hunt. I, I try to focus on what he wants to do and, and make it fun for him. This is the other thing is, you know, it don't, don't, they don't need to be an Instagram influencer when they're 10 years old. They don't need to have the, 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 the most epic nine mile hunt, you know, my, my kid, you know, hunted in bare feet, you know, 19 miles, only had one frozen meal, one frozen <laughs> meal in a week, you know, don't, don't yeah. make a, that, that's, that's, that, that's what men do. Okay. Don't, don't make that about your kid. If your kid wants to do it, go for it, but you know, don't push them too hard, make it fun for them. It, it's kind of like what I do with fishing. I love to, to fish for big river fish. I just don't have the margins to do it right now in my life. And, and if, if the kids want to go fishing, I just eat my pride and go fish at the kiddie pond. And sometimes you have to do that with hunting, but as, 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 as your child develops, like cash is 16 now, a little more interested in big bucks, a little more, um, you know, willing to put the time in everything. So I'm going to push him a little bit harder in that area, but you know, I, you know, I, I, what, this is what I've learned with him. One good day of hunting for him kind of scratches his itch one or two days, you know? And so I try to figure out how can I get him out hunting and get him home that night? You know, I don't need to pack him eight miles in, into my buck camp. You know, he's not ready for that, but when he's ready, I'll do it. So match, match the goals and the physical part of the hunt and everything to, 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 to them, make it fun for them or they're not going to like it. And, and, um, then, then they're not going to want to go. Don't, don't make it not fun for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's a great answer. Um, if you already have good glass, for example, older set of Soro SLC 10 by 42s, 
and an ATS 65 millimeter spotter and you're looking to upgrade, would you choose the new NLP or binos or a BTX spotting scope? Let's see. Okay. Based on your style of hunting conditions, terrain, I'm reading this question. Okay. So if he's got good glass and he's talking about his neck binos and he's got the ATS spotter, would you choose the NL Pure? Okay. Personally, no. The NL Pures are awesome. Like we looked through Travis's when we were hunting that year. Remember, yeah. Jordan? That's mm-hmm. fine. I've been around them a lot. They're awesome. They really are. Really did feel like Travis was spotting more deer with those. Um, than I was with, with my ELs. Um, and that could just be Travis, better eyes, all that stuff. But, you know, they're definitely a good final. I don't, I still don't have a pair. I could get a pair right now. I don't have a pair. They don't have a range finder. Of. I don't want to pack two optics. And I want to have a final range finder altogether. And that's just me. That's my personality. That's how I am. I don't like a bunch of heavy crap. I don't like more things to remember i don't like all that stuff and and i plus i don't like all the extra movement that i um um a dedicated rangefinder requires you know and because this i hunted with a dedicated rangefinder it always ended up in my pack all right and um and and that means i lost critical seconds when it came time to shoot okay maybe maybe with a rifle it's not still critical but it still is i've had bucks get away just because i needed one more second i don't want to be messing around with a rangefinder <laughs> so for me you know, a good midline and up binocular, thousand <clears throat> dollar range, whatever. Maven, you know, vortex, um, razor level, um, you know, use swirls like what he's got in here. That's gonna be good enough for me. All right. And um uh um and and and, and I'm gonna always lean towards towards the range finder in in that. Okay. So that that's why I wouldn't get the NL. They're doing that now when they put a range finder in the NL then okay you're, now you got my attention mm-hmm. um a btx spotting scope i don't think of the btx as a spotting scope i think of it as a binocular but i know what he means because it adapts to the atx system which yeah. is a spotting scope and but so the btx eyepiece um if he if he goes and reads my article on the btx you'll see i it, it's the most awesome piece of glass out there I still use it the least out of all my glass mm-hmm. because, and, and Jordan, you're going to, you're going to go rent a, rent some from Darren from, from rent guns and gear. Um, and you tell me when, when you find a spot where you can use it, they are awesome. There is nothing better, nothing better than a BTX. But the reason mine doesn't get used as much heavy, bulky, they need distance. You know, they need to be able to spread their wings and, there, 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 there's not a lot of utility there compared to a 15. So even though I have a BTX, I still use my 15s more because they're more usable. I can use them from 300 yards to five miles, you know, where a BTX, you can use it shorter than a mile, but it's hard. You know, it's, it's, it's 32 power binoculars need, need some distance. So I guess I'm not answering his question very well. I would throw the 15. I would I would own a pair of 15s before I owned a BTX if I could only own one. And so if you had a pair of neck binos with a rangefinder in them and a, and a and a little spotter, 
because that's what he's going to use more because it's going to end up in his pack and a 15, then you're ready for anything. That, that, that's how I, that's how I would answer that question. I would put the BTX pretty, pretty low on the wish list, which is hard because it's such an awesome optic. But I remember last year, I only hunted about three days out of like 35, 40 with the BTX. And every time I hunted with it, I was like, man, these things are awesome. But there were so many places like it just wasn't worth packing them. You know, they're yeah. five or six pounds. They're giant. They're like packing a child around. Yeah. And they're expensive. And they're expensive. You know, I mean, it's, it's so sorry, Swirl. They're awesome, but, but there's just not a lot of utility there. Yeah. Know? Very so, sport specific. Um, now ha- they're very, they're very specific. They very are. And, 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 you know, I think if you're just hunting really big country, scouting a lot, you know, trying to break country down from long, long distance, trying to learn country. There's nothing better. There's nothing better, but that's not how you hunt. You hunt, mm-hmm. you have to hunt up close. You know, you can't, it doesn't do any good to bu- spot a buck at five miles. You're not going to be able to, to stalk him that day. You're, you know, it, I don't want to say there's no, there's no good in it. That, but once I know where that buck is, the BTX is getting left in the truck. I'm going after that buck with my eights and probably with, with a little spotter in my backpack, that little tiny, did mm-hmm. you see that? Did you see that video I had on Instagram about a week yeah. ago? It's <laughs> awesome. Guys are scratching their head. That little <laughs> tiny uh, Nikon ED. Are you kidding me? But yeah, it's very. There's a lot of utility there. Number one, it's with me all the time because I hardly know it's there, and I've got that little mm-hmm. tiny KDC tripod. So once I've spotted that bucket five miles with the BTX, then 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 yeah, it may be put in the drawer for the rest of the year. And then I'm going to be in there close with my eights and that little tiny spotter, you know, and, and, you know, if it's a bigger country, I, you know, I'll, I'll use my Swaro AT, ATS um, 65, like what he mentions in there. That, that's good. But uh, to answer the question, to, to, to quit rambling on, it's supposed to be a lightning round. Uh, a combo, final rangefinder is what I would pick. Um, a, a, a smaller spotting scope, like what he's got there, that ATS 65, even an ATS 80. ATX is fine right around in there. 60, 85, whatever they make in there. And then a pair of 15s with the BTX, the very, very last piece that I would buy. Okay. I like it. Um, okay. Which buck made you grow as a hunter the most? The buck in the very first story of my first book called the one that started it all. That buck. Perfect. Go buy the book on Amazon. How's that? The reason that buck made made me made me grow because it was the first really big buck that I took on purpose, and it eliminated a lot of the bullcrap myths that I had been believing about mule big mule deer just being so random, and they're they're where you find them, and that I'd rather be lucky than good. I got rid of all that thinking when I killed that buck, and that made me grow as a hunter. Plus, there's a lot of faith involved in that buck. Uh, That story was originally called the prayer. And so, so yeah, go read it. It all comes together there, but that's, that, that's the one that did it for me. Awesome. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite experience where you've helped a buddy kill a buck? Yep. Um, it was all good and and there was some good and there was some bad. And that, that, (laughs) uh, that article I wrote last year called, um, uh, spotter gets first shot. Yeah. That was, that was where that kind of came from. And I'm not talking about the buck that got away from Travis because that was all good. You know, he got first shot. He's found that it was good 20 years ago, him and I would have gotten a fight over, over that buck. And, and so to answer the question, the the favorite, the favorite buck is I, I helped a friend, a good friend, still a good friend, love the guy, 
a 36 inch buck and we were on a backcountry hunt with hardly any deer around and we got below zero temperatures and they just came out of the woodwork and we were on horses and um, had been hunting up on this big brushy mountain and seeing a lot of does were starting to come into this area but it was so cold like it was 15 below at night so you're probably hunting in zero degree temperatures during the day that, that you just couldn't sit a long time and so we kind of inventoried the, the, the does that were on this big mountain camp was at the bottom of the mountain it took like an hour to get back to camp it was kind of getting towards sunset and i said okay we know these does are up here we can't really sit on them it's too cold let's get off the mountain on our way back to camp and um, look at another slope on the mountain because I had an east-facing slope that we couldn't see from the top. And, um, and then let's, let's be up here in the morning and see if there's any, because it was still early November, um, uh, so the bucks were not in with the does all day. I said, let's just be in here early in the morning and see if we can catch a buck around all these does. So we took off, dropped down off the mountain, cross country, no trail, hit the trail in the bottom, had to go up through a big saddle, um, that gave us a little bit of a view of that east facing mountain. And, and we're talking, I was just planning on like glassing it for like three minutes. I mean, you could just look at, look at it as the sun was setting, drop off to camp. And so we, we get to this saddle and I'm kind of starting to look ahead on, on the horse. I'm looking up on the slope. It's, you know, 400 to 800 yards away. And I'm like, okay, what part of it do we want to glass? You know, we're only going to be able to sit here for a minute. And I saw a big buck with my naked eye. And I could tell he was a big buck with my naked eye because a lot of times you can when they're really big. And I and his uh, his name is Kevin. I yelled back to Kevin. I said, "Big buck, big buck." So I, I dove off of the horse. And remember, like I said, you never want to be on a horse when you see a big buck. Here's one of those <laughs> stories. And um, uh, um, uh, Kevin had I didn't even have a rangefinder then. Kevin had a, a Leica rangefinder, and so he jumped off the horse. You know, I'm thinking this buck is like way out of range. You know, this is back when. 400 yards was a long shot. And I thought he was way further than that. And uh, Kevin hit him with the rangefinder. He says, dude, he's like 505. I'm like, really? Gosh, I think I can hit him. So I laid down on the trail. Well, the buck had seen us. He saw the commotion with the horses, even at 500 yards away. And he was with does. He was kind of distracted. As soon as he saw us start moving, he, he kind of got all cocky and, you know, got in with the does and they started moving up the slope. And I never could get on him to get a shot. Um, just didn't feel good. He was walking. Um, and then he, you know, he walked up the slope. We didn't see him for a while. And then right at dark, he came back out and he was about 700 yards. And I told Kevin that that's a Boone and Crockett buck. That's a Boone and Crockett typical. I don't see a cheater on him. He's got well over a 30 inch spread with no cheaters. Um, he just looked really good. I said, let's get back up here in the morning. So we got back up there in the morning and that was the night it was 15 below. So flipping cold. And, um, uh, you know, you, you, you don't even hardly ride your horse. You ride your horse a half a mile and then you get off and walk. So we worked our way up and we didn't go to that saddle where we'd seen him from because we knew that if the buck was still there, you know, he would, he would see the horses down there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, um, cross country got higher up on the mountain, got above the saddle. And as it got light, um, it's, it's, um, um, we can see more of the slope and we immediately start spotting does and it's so cold again, you can't sit for very long. So we're just holding the horses reins and along uh this trail looking across we're probably looking across three quarters of a mile you know we're, we're kind of safe we're at but we can't shoot at him um but we got to locate him first and um one of us spots him it took a while maybe like a half an hour but we spot him he was right back in with those does he had moved about 300 yards overnight in fact i was kind of glad we, we were across the mountain because you couldn't really see him from that saddle where he was you may have later in the morning but you know we spotted him and he was right in these does you know he was he was trying to trying to, to, to do the nasty right there. You know, he was ready to breed. And, um, so we're watching him and we finally, uh, uh, um, figure we, we watched him and he fed in, he followed the does into a big quakey bowl 
um, rough up and down stuff, perfect for a big buck. And we saw the does come out the other side and he never came out. And by now, you know, it's getting to be eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. The sun's getting on that slope and so Kevin, he's just gotta be in there. You know, he's just there. Let's just keep looking. So, um, we kept moving and glassing, moving and glassing. And one of us finally spotted him laying down in there. And, um, um, you could see about the top half of his body. The snow was pretty deep. It was probably about eight inches deep. So he was laying down in the snow. So, so you can only see about the upper half of his body. And we, we figured out a stock. We had to drop off the mountain. We had to go kind of through some open country with the horses. So we got off them, led them along the edges and stuff. And we ended up back down to that saddle where we'd seen him from, but because we were careful, he couldn't see us and he didn't hear us coming. We tied the horses off um, in the saddle. Um, I, I had killed a really big buck earlier in the fall and Kevin and I had never really worked out this whole spotter gets first shot thing. And if, if we had, it would have been my buck. It would have been my shot, but we really, I wasn't really thinking that way. I'm like, I already got a big buck this year. Kevin hasn't got one, you know, I'll, I'll give him the best position. So, Kevin, I gave, I told him, you, you get up above him. Above him's usually better. I'm going to stay down low. I said, I'll bet he gets up in the next hour or two. And as soon as he gets out of that bed, you know, one of us might get a shot at him. We had radios, stayed in touch with Kevin on the radio. He worked his way up around there to this big dead tree that we, we had seen that put him above the little quakey bowl. And I was kind of down, I was about 450 from the buck. And I, but I was below him. And about the only thing I could see was his head but I could see him all the time. So I'm radioing to Kevin, you know, he's not looking at you. He doesn't seem to be alert. Kevin radios back to me about an hour later. And he's like, dude, I'm 110 yards from the buck. I was just shocked. He was that close. I'm like, wow. You know, we were thinking we could get you within 300 yards. He's like, yeah, I, mm-hmm. like, I had to get that close because I couldn't see him from any other place. And I'm like, okay, can you shoot him in your bed, in his bed? Nope. Nope. I can't. All I can see is a dark spot of where he is. No, no way for a shot. And I'm like, okay, well just get ready. Let's stay off the radios. Um, you know, you're too close and you're going to kill this buck buddy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not even worried about shooting the buck. I just lean my rifle up against the tree and I'm thinking, you know, he's going to be up pretty soon. And, Oh, I should probably get ready. So like a half hour into it, you know, I got my gun up in the crotch of the tree, built a little rest and everything. You know, I'm, I'm shooting back up. I'm not too worried about it. And I'm thinking Kevin's going to pace this buck. This buck is going to stand up and he's just going to get hammered with a 338. You know, I'm just playing it in my mind and everything. I'm, I'm so pumped. And um, um, two hours go by. <laughs> buck is still laying in his bed. That's a long time. So, you know, I, I finally, I can't stand it anymore. I radio Kevin like, what's he doing? He's like, dude, he's sleeping, man. He goes, he's just laying his head down. He goes, you know, just, he's just not getting up. I'm like, okay, well, he'll be, he'll be up pretty soon. Jordan, we played this game for six hours. It's the longest I've ever seen a big buck stay in one bed. And luckily for us, even though it was so cold, now the sun was up and it was a really sunny day. And we were both on sunny slopes. Kevin was on kind of a southwest facing slope and I was on a south facing slope. So we could stay warm. Um, even though the air temperature was very cold, but I, I was just thinking, you know, this buck must just be really tired from chasing does and, or the, just the cold temperatures is keeping him in his bed. So we're watching him like it's getting to be like two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock, you know, sun, sun goes down early then, you know, it's getting to be yeah. evening. And, um, there's just no movement in this buck, but you know, I'm trying to stay ready. I'm trying to stay awake. And, you know, I'm just waiting for the shot. I just know anytime this buck is going to get up and, and uh, Kevin's going to paste him. And um, 
we had not talked on the radio for probably like an hour and I'm watching the buck and all of a sudden he just leaps out of his bed, Jordan, like something spooked him, like something bit him in the ass. Mm -hmm. And I got the gun on him because I'm like, oh my gosh, did, 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 did he hear Kevin? You know, what's going on? I mean, this bucks don't just jump out of their bed. They usually look around for a while then they stand, you know, they're, they're, they're careful. Something spooked that buck. And when he, when he got out of the bed, he probably jumped 10 feet. And I'm like, what, it, what is going on? So I got my rifle on him. I think I had him at 450. I'd kind of, you know, where there was no long range, anything, then, you know, you just had a, mm-hmm. had a, a, a regular crosshair. And I thought, well, if I have to shoot, you know, I got a hole over the top of his back. I'm not radioing Kevin. Cause I'm just thinking he has to see this buck and I'm going to watch this buck go down in my scope. Well, this buck is on edge. You know, he's looking around left and right, you know, even though he's still standing there, probably 30 seconds go by. And I, you know, I want to pick up the radio, but I'm like, you know, don't bother a man on the gun. And I don't want to spook him. Kevin has to see this buck is up, you know, did he fall asleep? You know, all this stuff is going through my head. Well, all of a sudden this buck starts walking. He takes about two or three stiff legged steps. And I'm thinking, pace him, Kevin, pace him, pace him, dude. He's up, just pace him no shot, no nothing. And I, I, I've had enough big bucks get away. I'm like, this buck's getting away. Kevin doesn't seem something happened. He, he, it's too thick. Something's happened. I, I got to shoot this buck. So I level off on him, hold my crosshair about level with his ears, seven mag, 150 grain. I'm uh bullets. I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to drop one right in the vitals. Pow! <laughs> you know, gun goes off. Can't see anything for a second. Next thing I see with my naked eye, the buck bounds about five steps, kind of towards Kevin a little bit, and then boom, the buck drops. I, Kevin shoots. I'm like, oh, awesome. We got him. We got him. You know, I, I didn't yeah. know, you know, did I hit him? And then Kevin hit him. You know, he must have ran out in the open where Kevin could see him. You know, oh, my gosh, we got him, dude. I mean, the, the adrenaline dump, you know, been sitting there six hours. You know, I'm just, I, I can't believe we just got this buck. You know, I'm, I'm thinking this buck is mid thirties. You know, this is a big, big buck. And uh, so I'm all excited. Well, the next thing I hear on the radio, Kevin's just cussing up a storm. Why did you shoot at him? What's going on? What the hell were you doing? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, I'm staring at the radio. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, dude, the buck jumped out of his bed. He was getting ready to run. No, he wasn't. You know, he's arguing with me. Oh, he's like, dude, no. I was just waiting for him to turn broadside. And I'm like, dude, the buck jumped out of the bed. No, he didn't, dude. I saw him walk out in that little opening. And I'm like, well, you know, we've only been friends like, what, 15 years? You think I'm lying to you? I'm like, tell you what, calm down. We got the buck. No big deal, dude. He's down. Like, I'm trying to get pumped, you know. I don't care whose tag goes on this buck. And he's like, yeah. I just don't want your bullet in my buck. I'm like, well, I just don't want the buck to run over the ridge. So, Let's just forget about it, dude. He's your buck. Obviously, you you dropped him. Let's just let's just call it good. So he kind of calms down, and I go get the horses. You know, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I, I hate it when this stuff happens. Yeah. You know, I guess we should have talked about who was going to shoot and everything. So when we get up there, by that time he's kind of calmed down, but he's still got a pissy look on his face. And I'm um uh, and and I'm like, dude, I just want to let you know, man, that that is exactly what happened. I saw the buck jump up. He was acting really spooked. He was up for almost a minute before I shot. He's like, well, that's not what I saw. He says, when I saw the buck, he was pretty calm. Yeah, he was looking around. And he goes, and I didn't have a broadside shot at him. He was kind of looking, I think, straight at him, you know, and which was a good call. You know, Kevin was kind of waiting for him to turn broadside. And I'm like, well, we got him. 
you know, let's do some high fives. You know, he gives me kind of a paltry high five. I said, dude, let's walk over here. I said, I, I know where his bed is. It's just over there, like 15 yards. And, and we'll be able to tell if I hit him. So we went over there and you could see my bullet in the snow. And I had shot underneath him, right in line oh. with the vitals underneath him. I mean, probably shot six inches underneath him. I said, see, dude, you got no worries. I didn't hit the buck. And, you know, so what if I did, but I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. all your buck, don't worry. So he starts to lighten up then. And we hadn't even walked over to the buck yet. <laughs> you know, the buck had like slid down the mountain a little bit and it's so steep. Dude, we walked down there. He's just a fantastic typical. It's the buck that's in my first book on the page. that says Western States Overview, fat buck. He was, he wasn't quite 35. I thought he was when I was looking at him. He was 33 wide on the outside with no cheaters. We taped him right out 190. Um, just a fantastic buck. And, you know, as we're sitting there talking and everything, Kevin's kind of mellowing out, you know, he's getting pretty happy and everything. And, um, <clears throat> we quartered the buck up, threw it on my horse. Um, uh, and Kevin was going to walk back down to camp. He just kind of dude loves to hike and everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and carry the antlers. We didn't want to, we didn't want to tie the antlers on the horse. And so he, he, he's behind me and I take off down, down, uh, towards camp. And I remember there's a big full moon coming up. And, and I just prayed. I'm like, Lord, I hate it when things go sour, you know, on buck hunts, you know, it just, it just sucks. But, you know, I, I just hope that this just doesn't impact our, our friendship and everything. So, you know, I get down to camp and, you know, I unload the deer and everything about 15 minutes later, here comes Kevin. And he just walks up to me with a big smile on his face. He said, dude, I am so sorry that that just <laughs> happened. And, and I shouldn't have acted that way. And I assumed a bunch of things and, and I'm really sorry, dude. And he goes, and I believe you that that buck you know, jumped up. Oh, and by the way, when we, when we looked at where I shot, you could see that the buck had, had, um, had jumped out of his bed before I shot. Like Kevin could see that, oh yeah, he actually did jump. And just from his perspective, he didn't see any of that. So, you know, it's not that it it just, his perception was his reality. He thought the buck was just, you know, lazily feeding on the hill and all of a sudden I'm blazing away at it. So (laughs) anyways, you know, just, he apologized. And then we got excited. Like all the, all the weird stuff was gone. And we had tenderloins and onions right there off of one of the best typicals um, I've ever seen. It's still one of the best typicals I've ever seen. You know, a, a buck that, you know, that tapes 190 clean. That, that's just a really big buck. And, and it's still hanging in Kevin's house. He got it mounted. Beautiful buck. You know, that, that hunt I learned so much from. And, you know, we stayed friends for many more years after that, hunted many more years after that. He's a good dude. My daughter plays soccer with his daughter. Um, uh, but, I, but I grew up a little bit from that hunt. I think he did too. And it's when I started deciding that, you know, you got to decide before the buck shows up, you know, how it's going to go down. And just talking to a lot of hunters over the years, that's kind of where I've come up with, you know, whoever spots it gets first shot. That's really what it gets down to. And, and then the whole rule of first blood, if, if I had hit it, in its bed and then kevin put it down by by our camp rules that still would have been my buck because the way we look at it whoever draws first blood it's their buck you could probably argue the person that actually puts it down may may not even have got a shot if it wasn't wounded i mean there's exceptions to all that but you, you got to make these decisions before before everything goes down or you're going to end up mad at each other and, and you don't want that you don't want that kind of energy in camp and that's that's why no. i wrote that article last year called spotter got first shot because i got to put it to practice that buck that I had been chasing all fall. And then I take Travis first time on the mountain first morning and he spots it before I do. It was all good. I'm like, dude, it's your shot. And Travis even said, Hey dude, I know you got a history with this buck. Are you sure? I mean, you know, I could have said, Oh yeah, dude, you know, it's my buck, you know, he's not anybody's buck till there's a tag on him. I'm like, no dude, you spotted it. I'm just here for the show. 
and 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 it all worked out just fine there you know travis didn't get the buck you know he got away but had travis got him i, I promise you jordan 99.5 percent of my soul would have been totally excited for him yeah i'd have been thinking oh that's kind of a bummer you know hunt all these days and then he gets crack at it but that's just how it is when you're hunting with buddies yeah. that's why you got to be careful who you hunt with and you know make sure that you're pretty evenly yoked so that you only want to hunt with people that you're super happy if they get one and you don't, you know, if you, if you're not, if you're not there, you know, you bet, you better let them know, you know, or there's going to, there's going to be bad feelings. And I've seen guys just totally turn into selfish babies when they see a big buck, even guys that are not even interested in big bucks, they even kind of make fun of it. Oh, I'm not into the antlers, whatever. And then you see a big buck and they fall to pieces trying to get a shot at it. You know, yeah. and that's why they're not totally into the antlers because they've never seen a big one. And then when they finally do see one, they're like, holy crap, I want it. I want it. Got to work all that stuff out. So anyways, long story, Jordy. I know we went two hours on that. That's all but good. That, that was really my favorite, favorite hunt on helping a buddy get a buck. And every time I see that buck on his wall, I mean, brings back all good memories, even with a little bit of drama that was there, all good memories. Yeah, I really like the spotter gets first shot. It's just flat across the board. There's no, I've seen like, this day, if you know, you get first stock and then the next day I'll get first stock and that kind of deal. And I just like, it simplifies it so much if spotter gets first shot. Um, okay. So we do have yeah. one last thing. If you have a little bit of time, uh, as made famous sure. by a previous podcast where a couple stories were told, somebody wanted to see, uh, if you had a funny story to close things out. Oh, a funny story to close things out. Can we talk about poop on the podcast? If you want to. Okay. Well, you asked for a funny story. <laughs> I think poop is funny. So I was hunting with my dad and my uncle. This was back when we were, when we were, when I was still archery hunting elk. And I got an uncle, his name is Mark. He's a, he's a mountain goat. Dude loves to hike everywhere. I mean, he'll, he'll hike past the elk just to get to harder elk. You know, he's just that kind of guy. And, um, we'd been hunting for a couple of days, you know, not eating all that well, you know, not, not the, by, not the best digestive health, you know, all, all, yeah, I mean, Jordan, come on, you're one of the guys we can talk about this stuff. So yeah. we're up on the ridge there and I'm like, Oh, flip dad, I got to go find a freaking tree. And he's like, Oh, get away from me. Well, <laughs> we're on like a 45 degree slope. There was nowhere to go except for right on the trail. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I just got to go. So, you know, I take care of business. And here comes my uncle. I mean, I'm just oh, kind of no. getting getting done here. And here comes my uncle. And, you know, my dad's only like 15 yards away. And, 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 and you know, I was just going to, like, get a stick and kick it off the trail. My dad's like, no, no, no. See if you can walk your Uncle Mark right through it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, okay. So I, so I get back about five feet, you know. I put, I put the pile between me and him. And here he comes, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's scouting, you know, he's looking at all the ridges. He's not looking down. I'm like, Hey Mark, did you see those elk? You know, I'm just making crap up. And he's like, no, no, where were they? And I'm kind of pointing across the mountain at these, you know, elk that don't exist. He's like, no, no, I don't even see them. I'm like, here, walk a little closer and kind of get over by me. You got the wrong angle. I walked him right through it. The plan was <laughs> executed perfectly. He was not happy and no I one would get not. near him for a couple days. So I don't know if that's a funny story, but it was funny to me. Uh, yeah. Remind me uh, when we're hunting together this year that if, if the story or the questions that you're telling me are kind of fishy to like make a wide circle. 
Uh, Jordan, I would never do that to the lady. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of stuff you, you pretty much do to your uncle and your uncle only because anyone else is going to uh, punch you in the face. And we still yeah. talk about it. Like, you know, he's like, you know, I don't trust you for nothing <laughs> since you did that to me. I'm like, well, you know, it was actually dad's idea. So, yeah. Oh, man. Um, so with that, uh, we're going to wrap this episode up. But what do you have going on this year for tags? Um, well, you and I are going on a hunt, what, late September, high country yes. hunt. Um, Very excited. Uh, you, me, and Les Welch, can't, can't wait. Um, uh, so, so that one right now, I've been kind of scouting on it. That's where I was the last couple of days, in fact. And um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, that's kind of a hunt with kind of like 170 potential and up. And I know Les would be really, really happy with a buck that size. So I'm hoping we can turn one of those up. And, you know, my freezer's got no venison in it right now. That sucks. Yeah. So I don't know if my uh, my um, passing up skills are going to be all that great this year, but you know I'd like to get a better buck than that. So that's what I'm going to be looking for. That area does allow archery hunting, so um, I will definitely be um, um, hunting that if I find a, a buck there that I that I'm interested in. Um, and then also the buck that I that I wounded last year that we know is still alive, the one Travis missed and yeah. um alive and well um really want to see if that buck has showed back up he lives in some high nasty country i'm not even sure there's deer up there yet so i haven't worried about it um and um that that's always that's always a bow hunt it seems like you kind of got to hunt there with a bow too to really even have a chance at him. travis had a chance at him with the rifle but man i've hunted in there a lot with the rifle sometimes they're just not even there um and so rifle that's what two rifle hunts that's all going to be kind of october september stuff and then that archery hunt would be early september and then um we couldn't get you because you'd already been booked because you're so famous now <laughs> as a videographer i mean geez got to remember who your friends are here jordan so we we were going <laughs> to take you to colorado but you're guiding whitetail hunters you got to get your priorities straight girl i know um, i need uh, another guide so we'll if be anybody in colorado wants... third season awesome you're looking for a guide I mean, that would kick me loose to go hunt with you. So shoot me an email yeah, if well, anybody's maybe, interested. Maybe there's someone out there you can trust because that, that's what it takes for a guide, right? You got to be able to trust them. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've got a good one now, but I could always use another. And then that would yeah, really kick me loose. Oh, man. Well, I will so, be So yeah, you. that yeah. Third, third season Colorado would be would be the other one. So that's. So what's that? That's about three tags. That's about my max right there. Yeah, that's a I that's gonna keep you busy. Are you gonna go down? Yeah, here's a question. Are you gonna go down and scout for the third season or just roll with it because it's gonna be later? Yeah. Um, well, uh, not just because it's gonna be later, is because I know the unit now. Mm, and okay. I've I've hunted it, I hunted it that year with you and Travis, and I hunted it one other time. So um, scouting right now for a third season tag would only be pretty much logistics, where to camp, you know, yeah. finding the best oak brush, the best quakey pockets, access points and everything. The deer are not going to be there come mid November. Um, so no, no, no scouting on that one. That was one reason I put in for it is, you know, just taking advantage of what I already know. Um, so no, I'll save my scouting for the, for the earlier season tags for this year, but had, if it was a brand new area, and I hadn't been there before, you bet I would make a trip down there. Um, and if I couldn't, just could not get a way to do it, I would make a trip. I, I would add some days 
onto the front of the hunt before it opened to, to, to really get scalped. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll be with you early season to, uh, film and encourage trigger pulling and, uh, it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling I'm going to get a small buck this year. Nah, I think it's going to work out. Um, all right, man, we've been on a while, but thank you very much. I think people are really going to like this. I hope so, because we went on two hours. Man, that's a long old podcast. But man, I, I know. want to give you my best, Jordan. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, as always. Okay. All right, man. We'll see you later. Thanks.